Hi, I'm Tom, uh, joining from London. Hi, I'm John, joining from New York. And you've got uh, Adrian and Justin as well uh, on Nokia Chronicles. That's it. We've got two Adrian? very special. Oh, it's cool. We've got two very special guests this week. We've got Tom Messett all the way from London, and we've got John Neeland uh, all the way from New York, is it? Yep. yep. Sir City. John. Sir, Sir John. John. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really should have gone for that instead of Sir Neeland, but no one actually told me how knighting works. <laughs> Very right, so excited to have these guys on today. Sorry, yeah. just <laughs> two legends, yeah. two legends, so, two um, legends, two legends. guys. That's it. Two guys that worked at Nokia and uh, very, uh, very proud. Set the bar for legends Nokia. nowadays. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Legend and sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'll start off the podcast, guys. Um, so John and Tom, whoever wants to go first, give the listeners a very brief overview of your roles at Nokia. I'll go. I'll go hey. first. Then go on. Go, Tom. Um, so yeah, I'm Tom. I worked at Nokia from 2011 to um, well, when it was bought by Microsoft, and then Microsoft until 2015. Um, I did a few different jobs, all in marketing. Um, mostly around kind of blogger relations and digital marketing. Um, but I dipped into lots and lots of other stuff, uh, including working with John on stuff like the 3D printing initiative that Nokia did. Um, so, yeah, kind of got around Nokia. I was always in the global or European team. So kind of like, you know, mostly leading the kind of stuff where we invited people like you guys to events um, and all that kind of thing, really. And right. John? Um, yeah. John, uh, I worked at Nokia from 2011 through uh, 2016, the beginning of it, uh, when my team was laid off. Um, I had a variety of jobs at Nokia over the years. Um, started in uh, developer marketing, developer relations, uh, trying to get developers to build uh, Windows phone apps. Uh, eventually moved into a uh, product marketing role with uh, Nokia's uh, a super secret uh, research project. Uh, based, uh, well, not based out of Sunnyvale, well, mostly Sunnyvale, London. And then uh, I was eventually a product manager uh, for Nokia Z Launcher. Uh, and then we did the Nokia N1 tablet, and then we all got laid off. So, so if you want to summarize John's career in Nokia, he worked on stuff it was really hard or, re or it got killed by Nokia. Yeah. Everything John did, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything was a killing field. So you're very successful then, in other words, John. <laughs> yeah, everything I touch with Nokia just turns to, uh, turns to dust. But I will say, in complete seriousness, I am very thankful. Uh, Nokia, it's because of Nokia that I ever got on to the uh, product manager career track. And that's been a real sweet spot for me. Um, you know, it took me to London uh, after that, where I worked as the product lead for Bumble. Then uh, I moved to Facebook to be a product manager there. And uh, we'll see where I go from there. But I'm very thankful to Nokia. Um, I don't think any other company would have given me the chance to become a product manager. Uh, on anything of remote importance, uh, so I think no, that's that's even that's the same for me in a way. <laughs> like John and I will will joke and wax lyrical about all the stuff that was wrong with Nokia and you know why it failed and there were lots of things, but you know they gave lots of people a chance. I mean, I joined Nokia out of working for Thousand Heads, who you guys may know. Um, they sort of were an agency of Nokia's, and I was brought in to like basically run the Nokia sort of social media channels like Facebook and Twitter and that a few weeks before the Windows phone launch. Um, and I ended up leaving Nokia as a marketing director who had run like massive marketing budgets across all of Europe and globally. 
and like being able to do all of that stuff and the opportunities you got were just insane, like relative to any other company I can think of. Yeah, absolutely. Very so yay not for that. It was a special place. Yeah, yay for that. Not much else. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go down well, isn't it, Adrian? Yeah. Oh, no. well, this is, this is, well, this is why we've started this Nokia Chronicles uh, podcast, and because of the old catchphrase, you know, connecting people, well, this is what we're reconnecting people. So, And just having yeah. the, pre, the pre-show b- between you guys, uh, you, you sound like you're so comfortable with each other's company and um, having a good old joke and, and things like that. So yeah. I, I, was, I was awesome to hear. So yeah, have you, I mean, me and John oh, so met, and the reason we, the reason we know each other is literally through Nokia's internal social network. I can't remember what, was it was it Socialcast. I can't remember what it was called, but basically, John posted on there one day, saying, "Hey, we've got this Alumia 820 coming out, which, if you remember, was the one with the removable back covers." Yeah. And uh, he goes, "Hey, why don't we like open source the design files for those and put them on um put them on a wiki or something and let people 3D print their own covers." And I read that post and just thought, oh, that's a great idea. I don't know who this John Neeland is, but he's on for something. So basically, <laughs> I messaged him and went, hey, let's make that happen. And I was working on the Nokia Conversations blog at the time. So we made it happen, me and John. We got the files. We kind of worked with a company called MakerBot to optimize them for 3D printing. And mm-hmm. we just basically whacked them up on a wiki that I think John made that took about 10 minutes. And then... We did a blog post interview with John and put it on the Nokia Conversations blog. And we didn't really tell anyone about it. We just thought it was like a tiny little thing that would, like, you know, make a bit of noise among a few niche sort of communities, please yeah. a few tech geeks. The Nokia blogs might notice. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was going on holiday. So I'm at my then girlfriend's house getting ready to go to the airport. And my phone just starts buzzing off the hook with work calls. And it was the, the comms team, um, like the... Um, you know, people like um, Doug Dawson and Carol Soriano, who used to run comms, and they were like going, what the fuck have you done? I was like, what? what? And this thing, uh, John became a celebrity in about two minutes. This thing was getting picked up by Wired. It was getting picked up by like the Financial Times. The Nokia stock price moved. We had to explain to the Helsinki Stock Exchange why we moved the stock price without doing proper, you know, financial filings <laughs> it went completely insane and like i'm on my way to the airport just my phone just ringing constantly like what the hell is this what's going on and then the design team the nokia design team were furious because they were like you're ruining our design aesthetic and our design language and letting people like you know open source it blah 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 but basically elop just came along and went no nah, i love this can we do more can we do something with it at mwc so we ended up getting um getting like a little bit on the Nokia stand at MWC, having like 3D printers there, 3D printing, like random stuff, like doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But it was just like, it was this insane thing that we just thought would be like a, you know, sort of bit of a side joke internally and bit of a thing that would be a bit of fun for like the Nokia fanboys that ended up being this like ridiculous, massive thing. Like we were having meetings with AT&T about putting 3D printers in their stores and stuff. It never happened, but it was just like insane. Where this thing, where this thing went, but yeah, that's how I got to know John. <laughs> yeah, we went on a wild ride together. That was madness. The kind of yeah. Mobile World Congress. <laughs> and then I took John to a pub that was older than his country in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Tasted like it too. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. We ask one simple question and we get uh, an answer <laughs> like that. I, I actually love that. That's 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 awesome. <laughs> what oh, about yeah, Adrian? I, I think Adrian's. 
Adrian's, uh, I think, gone unconscious with that answer. <laughs> no, I'm still here. I'm taking it all in. No, it's like you said. It's like you said, Justin. It's just you know all about reconnecting the uh, the old folks, and it's just awesome they can reminisce about all these uh, you know memories of the time they worked together. So. Yeah. Certainly, well, some good memories just, out there. I might oh, yeah, slightly yeah, change the next question. Times. All right. Well, how about we go to the uh, the worst of times then? So, for my question. So, and I know you've probably been asked it a million times this question, and you can both answer it. But uh, how did you feel, and what was the general mood when uh, with Microsoft's acquisition of Nokia? Go on, John. Oh God! <laughs> he's going to unleash rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't remember much because I just remember getting like blackout rage drunk when it was announced. Um, that was the most massive hangover uh, the next day. It just felt like my world because at the time, you know, working at Nokia was my little world. And, you know, we had all these like great plans of, you know, oh, this is going to turn it around. This is going to turn it around. But, you know, um, and then it just it ends like so suddenly. And then it wasn't even sudden away because then it just seems like an interminable amount of months go by while they're waiting for the deal to get approved. And of course, Nokia is just continuing to like set money on fire every month until the, the deal closes. And um, it was a very strange uh, time, uh, very uh, emotionally charged time. Um, I think like it sort of took those, you know, any sort of accusations of uh, Elop being, uh, you know, Microsoft mole, yada, yada, that definitely went up to 11 for a while uh, by a bunch of other um, angry people. Um, I don't think I, like, as angry as I was, I feel like I can't understand the way that people, like, I guess, say, in, in Finland uh, must have felt. Because, you know, like, in my sense, like, you know, I'm an American, I'm in a country that has, like, more uh, tech giants than, you know, you, can, than you know what to do with. And the government's like, oh, let's just, you know, we have too many, let's break them up. Um, but, like, for, I mean, like, what other national, like, you know, champion of consumer electronics and things that were meant for individual people... Like, I mean, neither Finland nor Europe was awash in them at that time. And uh, I just thought it was like a, a shame, really, that, you know, with, when Nokia went, like, Europe was just kind of out of the game for consumer electronics. I thought that was a loss. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, so I'll tell you my take on it. So I think that it's like, make a controversial statement to start with and then go from there. So the controversial statement is, I think Nokia's thinking behind going with Windows Phone in 2011 was actually very solid. And I think they were kind of right, okay? Um, I think their execution was so unbelievably poor that they cocked it right up. But taking it back to 2011 for a second, which was kind of, I guess, the first big shock for everybody, when Nokia said, we're going to dump Symbian, dump me, go do Windows. I think there was a large amount of very, very smart thinking behind that. And the thinking has proved to be true, okay? So here's what Nokia thought. First thing, they were always scared shitless of a software company coming in and sucking all the margin out of the high end. And that's exactly what's happened. If you look at high end device manufacturers now, outside of Apple, they're all using Android and none of them are making any money except maybe Samsung. You know, like most of the older players, uh, Motorola, Sony, etc., have either gone bust or pulled out the market or been sold apart pretty much um so nokia understood too, right? yeah lg's yep. gone as well yeah so nokia nokia understood what was going to happen they understood that if they went with android in the long term they would end up losing all their money because android would do to smartphones what windows you know old windows did to pcs it would suck all of the margin out 
and it would end up with a basically a series of, of, of mid-range blocks, which is what basically HMD churn out now. But there's no point of building special high-end ones because your average punter just walks into a store, wants to spend $20 a month or whatever it is, and just picks one, and that's it. And they're all kind of the same. And that's basically what happens now. I mean, yeah, okay, you've got the kind of bendable, foldy ones that are sort of maybe making a little bit of innovation, but it's all, you know, much of much. So Nokia knew this and could see this coming. Their problem was they jumped to a third OS too early. Like, what they should have done is probably throwing their hat in with Android, made Android phones for three to five years, rebuilt their cash pile, and then eventually got, okay, let's try and do something else. It's kind of what Samsung are trying to do. You know, Huawei have kind of been forced to do it too soon because of the whole Google Huawei ban and, you know, political stuff. But they went to Windows Phone in a bit of a panic because they were scared of what was going to happen with if they went with Google. And they saw it as an opportunity to be different. And it ended up as an opportunity to be worse. But the other thing that most people don't know about Nokia is that Nokia couldn't have gone with Google easily, right? When Nokia signed to go with Windows Phone, they were losing a crap load of money. And Microsoft offered them basically a billion dollars a quarter for a number of quarters to do this. So there was the cash side of it. But more importantly, Google were going to charge them a billion dollars to do all of the reconditioning work to move over to, over to Android or something like that. But more importantly, is Nokia Maps or Ovi Maps or whatever the hell it was called at that time. It had about 50 different names. <laughs> but when you, when you sign up to Android with Google, so not AOSP, Android with Google services, you have to accept all of Google's patents and copyrights. That's part of the deal. Nokia couldn't do that because they spent billions of dollars acquiring Navtech and Nokia Maps, which basically had a series of patent conflicts and issues with Google Maps. So that issue was solvable, but the easiest way to solve it would have been to sell Nokia Maps. And if there's one thing that Nokia's management were, it was incredibly bloody conservative. And they had this theory that Nokia Maps was going to become this massive differentiator for them in the long term. And this whole vision, I don't know, John, if you remember that video that Elot played internally in 2013 of like, you know, snowboarders going down a mountain and all this sort of tech. Oh, being, yeah. Or a Strava like style. Like drone cameras around them well, or something. It's like, it's like they'd imagined like Strava and all of the stuff that would come with things like Strava, like, like five, ten years before Strava got big. They figured all that out, right? But they were not able to productize it and they somehow thought that Maps was really important for that and it kind of wasn't and, you know, whatever. Anyway, because of all of this internal bullshit, they were never able to sell Maps and focus on Android. So they were left with two choices. Keep building Mego, which all the will in the world was a dead end because they didn't have enough money, or go with Windows Phone. Of the two, one sends the company bust in two years. One sends the company down a path where you can at least sell the smartphone business and run away and keep it going. So, so in that situation, I don't think they made the wrong choice. But So it wasn't entirely surprising to me when it got sold in 2013. Um, that being said, it was still a very sad day, you know. And um, I think most of it was sad because we could all see the writing on the wall at that point. You know, everyone who was getting transferred over to Microsoft, we all knew that most, you know, we, we all knew that that product had a one to two year lifespan at that time. You know, especially after Elon, um, Balmer got punted and Adela got bought in. It was almost like Nadella had been the guy who was voting against the deal. He was the guy saying, this is a dumb idea. And it was a dumb idea for Microsoft. 
as soon as he was in it, it was like great how long till we all get fired <laughs> and, uh, to be honest i left before i got fired but you know of all my friends who went over there there were about maybe five or six who still work for microsoft and none of them work in devices now they all work on other things you know skype or minecraft or whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> so sorry long long answer but that's kind of my sort of thinking on it and it's a it's a different view but from an internal perspective you could definitely see where their where their thinking was was going with microsoft it was just like what had happened before in the period 27 to 2011 had fucked things so badly by 2011 it was it was a bad choice or a worse choice and nokia had nokia's biggest fuck up in their entire history was they massively underestimated how fast android was going to come down the price point like because you got to remember nokia didn't give a shit about iphone because nokia hardly sold any hardly sold any high-end phones anyway they didn't make any money off the n97 they didn't make any money off of the n86 or the n95 they were just like show pieces you know it was kind of like the it was almost a concept car in in, in car terms for nokia like they they were they were cool but the real money came from the the dumb phones mostly sold in places like India and China. That was the money. That was certainly the turnover. And what Nokia just failed to realize, when they saw the iPhone, they were like, quite rightly saying, well, no one's going to pay $400 for a phone, $600 for a phone. And they weren't in yeah. India and China and Africa and all those places. They weren't now. But Nokia just totally underestimated how quickly um, Android was going to get down to the sub $99 price point. They, they completely fucked that up. And when they realized their answer was Asher, and Asher was a total and utter piece of shit. But that's a completely different story. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell which one of us is a bad Yeah, I got drunk and, and Tom and I had an eloquent uh, thesis of Nokia over the last uh, decade. Well done, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's and, great. Uh, we, should we put out a... Uh, should we put out a language warning as well, Adrian? Oh, uh, no, those, don't uh, worry. Ten -year -olds that <laughs> to our podcast? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I listened to your last podcast. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. There's, there's, been, some, there's been some expletives in there, but um, uh, no, thank you for your answer. Don't ask me about Dean Patrick. <laughs> oh, that guy? My <laughs> God, man. You want to stop me swearing? God. I mean, how much trouble that guy used to get me in at Nokia? You know what he used? Like, so, so here's the thing about Nokia that, that most people outside didn't understand about the whole blogger thing, right? I would get emails every day, probably five times a day, from some blogger somewhere asking me for a phone or giving me a sob story about how Nokia Connects hadn't sent them a phone or Joe Blogs hadn't sent them a phone or whatever. And that was Adrian. Normally, the re that was probably Adrian on <laughs> That wasn't me at some point. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't just you. Don't worry, Adrian. Um, but Clinton, Jeff, he was always in there. Um, Nirav, uh, Jim in Ireland, you know, they're always stories, right? And, and, and oh God, most of them had a, reasonably, had a reasonably fair point. Um, but the problem was, right, you know, the local markets, as we called them, like the countries, had all the power, right? And, and we weren't allowed to send you guys phones if the Australian team didn't let us. And sometimes the Australian team would be like, no, 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 no. The Lumia 820 isn't for sale in Australia until, I don't know, January next year. So you can't send Adrian a phone until January next year. And we weren't allowed to tell you that because it hadn't been publicly announced that the phone was available January next year. So we couldn't tell you 
but we also couldn't send you a phone. But then what would happen is fucking Dean Patrick would happen, okay? So someone would figure out, they could email Dean and go, hey, mate, can you get me an 820? And Dean wouldn't think about it. He'd just go, yeah, sure, man, whatever. And then he'd send him a fucking 820. And then I'd get woken up in the morning by like six phone calls at 6 a.m. from the comms guy in like, I don't know, Nokia Australia or Nokia India or wherever, giving me shit or giving my boss shit about why have you sent this bloke a phone? And it's like, it wasn't us. <laughs> and it always came back. It always came back to one of a couple of people and it was normally Dean. <laughs> so, a very yeah, generous God, man. Had a lot of, he he was, was a very generous he had, man. He had access. He was, yeah, I mean, you know, just don't ever ask him about Valve computers or you'll get a longer answer than my answer to your last question. <laughs> Remember, write that one down, Adrian. We, won't ask <laughs> we, we will. We get it back on. Well, hopefully, we can get it back on after this. On <laughs> it's no hard feelings, surely. <laughs> no hard feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah. Sounds like a good bloke, uh, this uh, Elop guy. He's a nice guy. You should uh, meet him. Yeah. Well, you say you're in well, London. He was a nice guy. Are you actually in the Cayman Islands? No. <laughs> no, he this, actually, this is the thing. I. I, I I barely, I barely spoke to him. I spoke to him probably about three or four times in my time at Nokia. But my impression of him was he actually was a nice guy. He was a decent guy. Um, he made some mistakes, but I think, you know, a lot of blame is put at Elop's feet that needs to be put at the feet of the people running the business unit. You know, and, and I don't know if John will agree with me here, but, you know, there were two people who basically ran. Nokia was split into three business units. You basically had smartphones, dumb phones, and other shit, right? <laughs> so we can ignore other shit because it never made any money. That was just basically the patent trolling and the you know stuff that John did that always got killed before it got released. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and Max, which eventually we sold to I think Audi for about five pence. Um, but the. Um, there, the dumb phones and smart dumb phones and smartphones was where was where all of the all of the stuff happened, right? Like that's and 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 the the strategies of dumb phones and smartphones were set by the leaders of those business units. Um, Joe Harlow was running smartphones in the Windows Phone period. There was maybe Blanca running um, Blanca Utility running uh, the dumb phones, or you know, I don't know what, what we called it um, business, but like you know. Some of the stuff that was done in those business units was so unbelievably stupid. And, 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 and like, you know, yes, ultimately, Elop was responsible. It was his business. But one, he was a software guy, not a hardware guy. I don't think he had any idea how hard it is to do hardware. I, I still don't think that anywhere outside of Nokia realizes how much of Nokia's fuck up was made in 2009-10 because we bought components in 2010 to make Symbian phones and we had to spin them around to make Windows phones. And how the first five Windows phones were basically all Symbian phones, which is Windows phone loaded on them. And also, by the way, that's another reason we couldn't do Android. Because can you imagine if you took a Symbian phone processor and put Android on it? It would be shit. <laughs> but we'd already spent a billion dollars on components. Yeah, And this is the thing, right? People didn't understand that Nokia was how much sunk cost was made two years in advance. So, like, you want to make, I don't know, um, you, you know, you want to make the Lumia 800 in 2011. You've got to go to Foxconn or whoever's providing you the components and order those chipsets and processors and memory and batteries in, like, in some cases in 2009 or 2010. 
And if the market changes between 2010 and 2011, you're fucked. So an interesting story is originally, I think it was a 1520 um, or one of them was supposed to have a sliding edge, you know, like the Samsung Galaxy Edge phones had. Yep. You know, with the with the edge display and all of that stuff, the, the curved. Yep, um, yep. The reason it didn't was because yeah. the only, yeah, the only manufacturer who could make those screens was Samsung, and Nokia went to the Samsung. So Nokia had to go to Samsung's screen division and say, "Hello, you make these screens. We want to buy five hundred thousand of them or whatever to build this phone." And Samsung agreed, and then a few months later, Samsung came back on their word and said, "Sorry, we can't sell them to you. We we don't have the capacity." And then guess what? A year or so later, the Samsung Galaxy Edge is released. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes. There was so much, like, Nokia, and there was so much stuff that was done in the early and mid-2000s that, that had already fucked Nokia. And Elop was just there. Elop was basically made captain of a ship streaming headfirst towards an iceberg with no ability to turn. You know, and I think people don't realize that, and that's where a lot of this Trojan horse crap comes from. And yeah, I agree with. I agree with you actually. Like uh, for everything that I've I've heard, uh, Nokia was on a, as you say, a sinking ship already, and uh, he just came in at the end, and it was too late. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. All right. So, well, I've got a question. No, I'm not ignoring you, uh, John, but I've got a question for Tom as well. I know Adrian's <laughs> got some questions for you, John. So don't worry. So, look, during your time at uh, Nokia, Tom. No other brand communicated better to their customers and fans. And obviously, that was a, a lot to do with you. How did you manage to do it? And why don't other companies do the same, even to this day? So I think the first thing to say is I don't think it was. I think I was like in the same way that Elop was the poor guy on the on the ship heading for the iceberg. I was just on the ship heading for Aruba. <laughs> you know, um, by the time I was brought into the office, yeah. there, were, there, were, there was a fantastic, there was a fantastic team in place. Right. And there was a fantastic process in place and it had been built for a very long term. And I mean, I'm not going to even be able to name all the people who, who were involved in that, but people like, you know, uh, JP, um, Urkelo and Sarah. Hi, Tom. Uh, sorry, you're just uh, breaking yeah, up there, Tom. Facebook pages before I did. People like, oh, sorry, are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still yep, there. I can hear you. That's better. I, I think the line's gone no, a bit funny. Again. Hello, Tom. You guys there? Hey, yeah, that's better. Sorry, let's just talk coming up garbled. That was an awesome answer, Tom. I love that. I can't understand a word you just said, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) move it. Moving on. Um, no, what I was what I was saying was like there's too many people to name who 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 were involved in setting this up. But before I was anywhere near Nokia, there were people like Dan Goodall and JP and Sarah who ran those teams and that before me. They're the guys who originally contracted Thousand Heads. They're the guys who started what was called One World Nokia and became Nokia Connects. There were people like Carla who ran Nokia Connects after I moved on from it. And then the team with her, like Alina and uh, Elisa, Marla, um, all these guys who were who were heavily involved. But like the big thing is, firstly, Nokia put a lot of effort into knowing who its fans were. Um, and Nokia understood the principles that, you know, like sending a guy... Nokia understood that you could take somebody who was passionate about the brand and on social media and turn them into an influencer, right? And that's, I think, the thing that Nokia understood that no one else understood at the time. And I think even now people kind of miss, you know, what we were doing with Nokia 
is we were taking people who were passionate and who liked Nokia and we were using our scale and our, you know, abilities to make that person an influencer by giving them access other people didn't have, by bringing them to events, by giving them phones to review and by tweeting about their articles, by giving them the, the Google juice and backlinks from getting a tweet from an account that has a million followers, you know, and all this kind of stuff. We were, we were making influencers, whereas other brands find influencers and then try to make them like their brand, which is kind of like, and then it just becomes a money thing. Um, and, and because we approached it that way, we created a genuine community. Um, I think that like the reason other brands don't do it is partly because it's very, very expensive and it's very specialist, you know? Um, and also I think that, you know, brand marketing departments are often thinking in terms that are, you know, one to three months. They're thinking, how do I sell phone X or how do I sell product Y? They're not thinking, how do I create a community of people who over the next 24, 36 or 60 months are gonna help me sell phones a b c d e f g now nokia didn't i don't think deliberately think like that but because of the skill and luck and judgment of some of the people who were there early people like dan and like thousand heads we ended up with a an engine that allowed us to do that if you see what i mean mm -hmm. um right. but like it, it it was it was also the credit to people internally at nokia who were just we were a company that followed to an extent a much more european tradition than an American tradition of tech. And what I mean by that is, up until about 2012 or 2013, you could walk into Nokia's office and you could put, walk into the coffee shop and buy a coffee, even if you didn't work for Nokia. You know, no one would ask you who you were. You could just go in and sit down. I, I used to just wander around Nokia's offices as an agency guy in 2011, with, with just with a visitor badge. Um, we, like... You know, the, the culture was very open. That was embodied by people like Dean, you know, who we've spoken about. It was also embodied by the fact that when we went to events like MWC, none of the people on our stands were hired. You know, all of those people were Nokia employees who had volunteered. They weren't paid for it. They volunteered to go to Barcelona for a few days and work really, really hard. And trust me, it was really hard and do those shows. And that meant that when people like you guys came by our stand, you weren't talking to some demo guy who was a student paid £10 an hour and, you know, taught how the phone worked the day before. You were talking to the guy who built the damn thing. Yep. And that just was hugely different. And I can't believe that more companies don't invest in that. That's a good answer. Remember like the great those. outfits we had for some of those MWCs? Kind of oh, my God. Bjorn and his outfits. Is that Remember like the, the stripey tops? Things. Oh, yeah, I still got, got the stripey top, some that little hat with a poof on it, like teams or something. <laughs> did you guys, did you guys ever get the condom sweets? The what, what? sweets? <laughs> okay, so we're, so we're NWC, I think it was NWC 2011, or it might have been 2012. It was when we did the pure view, so I think that was 2012. Um, hmm. They had these, they'd ordered these sweets, these little mints, they put on a big, in a big um, bowl at the, at the front of the stand, like the reception area of the stand. And basically, they were in these little Nokia packets. But unfortunately, I don't know who designed it. They just looked like condoms in a packet. <laughs> and it looked like, it literally looked like you were walking up to the meeting room area where we would take, like, I don't know, the CEO of T-Mobile or whatever to go into a meeting and show him all of the phones and how many do you want to buy kind of stuff. And he'd walk past this reception area 
And so my mum would be like, oh, do you want a mint? And just had this thing in it. Just like he was basically being offered a bag of condoms before being taken <laughs> into a private room. <laughs> it was just so fucking brilliant. <laughs> it's very European. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook don't do anything like that, John? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> No, Facebook, Facebook don't offer you condoms, no. 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 What, what do Facebook Although offer maybe you? you'll see some condom ads in your newsfeed after this conversation. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's John. It's, damn, it's John. I knew it. Uh, it's with me the whole time. <laughs> uh, I think Adrian's got a question for you, John. You're finally up, mate. Yeah, no, you haven't been oh, left out, John. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm joking. Got a, I'm doing all the work here. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I've got a curly one for you later on anyway, John, so don't worry. Yeah. All right, John. All right. Please tell work. us about the, the Nokia Z launcher and by the sorry, by extension, the N one tablet. Oh man. Well um where to start? So after our little uh Nokia three D K uh three D printing uh, escapades, um I have been offered <laughs> the opportunity to move from developer marketing into um, what I just called Nokia's super secret R&D lab. I don't know the actual name, but it sounded cooler when I called it the super <laughs> secret R&D lab. And they were working on a sort of, um, I'm sure most of it is, is leaked by now, uh, but some sort of like Hail Mary attempt to like, okay, forget like, you know, if Windows Phone is not going to be working, like what really is, uh, what can we try next? And they were reimagining like what the mobile device would look like. Um, so if you put yourself in Nokia's shoes, right? Um, they had like Symbian, which was certainly state of the art, uh, you know, around like the late 90s, early 2000s, when the foundation of that sort of house uh, was set. Uh, and they're doing a great job with that. And then Apple comes along and sort of resets what that foundation is. Like they're laying their foundation, you know, they launched it in 2007, probably 2004, five, six. Um, and, you know, it turns out there was a lot of advancement in that half decade. Technology, mobile technology in particular, was advancing at a blistering pace. And, you know, the result was like the iPhone was essentially uh, more a computer than a phone. And it could do things that, as Nokia subsequently learned, could not really be glommed onto Symbian, which was designed, you know, to be obsessed with resource constraints and efficiency from uh, technology that was, you know, half a decade older. And so Nokia wondered, okay, if this is circa 20, you know, 12, 2013, another half decade has gone by. And if you were to ask yourself that same question, what new foundation would you lay? Like what sort of device uh, would like a brand new legacy-free like smartphone look like? Um, and it, it turned out to be sort of a, not even one device, but a family of devices. Um, a lot of like interesting stuff, really fun ideas. Um, like it was more of a family of devices because I think one of the many like, interesting ideas was, you know, we don't live in a single device world. Like, you'd live in a multi-device world where you'd want you know, somebody, a, a large tablet for when you're at home, uh, like a much smaller portable device for when you're actually out and about, um, you know, and, and I guess being able to move applications, you know, from your, your phone to your tablet, to your computer, all that sort of stuff, all things which subsequently have been done. Uh, by Apple. I mean, it, it seems like it was always uh, like that, you know, uh, Nokia will have this great idea for something and then fail to execute on it. And then <laughs> Apple comes and uh, quote unquote invents it uh, a couple of years later. And the whole tech meeting says, oh, look what Apple just invented. Well done. Not to uh, underplay the importance of actually executing. You know, Apple deserves incredible uh, credit for actually being able to execute on uh, ideas at the right time. Um, but anyway, so within this division, um, I, well, I guess, it's important to say that this division um, did not go over to Microsoft when the sale happened. So one of the many tragedies, uh, certainly the biggest tragedy of the whole uh, devices and services sale 
to uh, Microsoft was that Tom and I would no longer be uh, under the same roof. Um, sad times those were. Uh, and I was now <laughs> sitting in the R&D group of a company that was doing R&D for phones and uh, could no longer make phones. Um, so a lot of what we were doing is basically just, you know, like uh, shit canned. Um, and I think it, it wasn't certainly my idea. Um, I don't know whose idea it was. It just sort of uh, magically happened from my perspective. Uh, but there was this idea to take the interface uh, that we had developed for like our sort of small smartphone. And this one is definitely leaked online, like a call like Nokia G2 like sort of a, the, the Zoolander-sized uh, smartphone baby thing, kind of like the, the <laughs> Palm uh, smartphone that exists today. And the interface for that, you know, was um, the Nokia designers who were, uh, you know, like any good Nokia designers, a bit eccentric, but absolutely top-notch, um, had realized that the standard uh, phone interface of just like, you know, an endless list of like icons on a screen really doesn't scale down to a, a teeny tiny screen size. And so instead we had uh, what became Z Launcher, that is a... Like get rid of that whole uh, list of icons, just give you uh, a, a list of the apps that through the wonderful power of machine learning, we think you are the most likely to use, you know, based on things like where you are, time of day, day of week, if you tend to have any sort of, you know, clusters of application usage, like if you always check Twitter after checking Instagram, something like that, uh, they'll be aware of that and be able to say, okay, like based on all these factors, like this is what you're most likely to want whenever you pull out your phone, uh, wherever you are. Um, and the other nice thing was, um, if we couldn't find what you were looking for, then instead of having to pull up a teeny tiny keyboard and try to hunt and peck on that thing, and if you've ever played with the prototype, believe me, trying to type on a keyboard that size yeah, is uh, not, yeah, awful. Yeah. Um, so instead of that, you would just draw the letter, you know, with your finger uh, on the screen of what you were looking for. Um, and the nice thing is, if you take that sort of you know machine learning like predictor that's trying to guess what you want. And you type in a letter and, you know, essentially have told the computer, hey, you can just narrow down your search to only things that start with the letter T. Um, then, you know, you, you wouldn't have that many things. Like I drew the letter T and it would be, okay, do you want to open Twitter or call Tom? Um, and those, of course, being like two most frequent activities. Um, and it was a brilliant little launcher. Um, we had the idea, like say, we can salvage this. Uh, we can show the world that Nokia still has something up its sleeve and we're working on some interesting things just to keep the flame alive and let people know that like Nokia as a brand uh, is not going away. Uh, we're going to come back in a different way. And so this was our sort of, uh, you know, putting a ping out there, um, I guess you would call it. And we, we geared up to launch it as a uh, Android launcher. Now, this was, of course, a particularly fun experience because we had just sold all of our go-to-market people and teams and expertise to Microsoft. Like normally when you're building up a product, like one of the things we do is go to someone like Tom and say, okay, right. Like what's our plan to uh, get everyone like aware of this, talking about it, get important people trying it. Uh, that, that all went out the window. Um, so it was uh, basically our little team of, uh, you know, R&D people uh, and, and me, the, the product manager and my, my boss, uh, Brooke, uh, you know, fantastic product uh, manager mentor for me. It was the, person who taught me how to even do the basics of being a product manager. And we had to do everything ourselves. Um, you know, setting up the, the Twitter account, like getting some sort of customer support forum up and running, um, building the website and, oh yes, a download mechanism. Because at the time, uh, tacking back to what Tom said, Nokia and uh, Google were <laughs> forever feuding over uh, patents and IP issues. And so we couldn't do the obvious thing of just pop at the Play Store and, and let them do all that work for us. 
So we had to build our own downloading mechanism. If you recall, in the early days of Z-Launcher, you couldn't get it from the Play Store. You'd have to go to our, our website uh, that we had built for Z-Launcher and register and download it from there. Um, and even then, we couldn't just say, hey, just download as many copies as you want. Uh, we also didn't own, at that point, any handwriting recognition engine. We were licensing yeah. a handwriting recognition from someone else. So every download cost Nokia some amount of money. I forget if it was one cent or 10 cents or something. Uh, but to the point where they wanted us to build some kind of rate limiter. So our, our simple solution was, okay, just let people you know, put in their email addresses. Um, and you know, I think you get like, what, two or three downloads max per user. Uh, and hopefully you don't, you know, don't mess it up from there. Um, so that was our, our little system. We, you know, threw it out uh, into the wild, uh, you know, like uh, tweeted about it, tried to send out some uh, press release, do some marketing with like a, a one, one woman band contractor uh, we had hired uh, to get the word out and hope for the best. Uh, I think we were expecting 10,000 downloads in the first week. Um, it, it blew up as sometimes Nokia things could. Uh, we got 100,000 downloads in the first day. Uh, we actually, you know, we're only allowed to, I think, do 10,000 downloads or so because, of course, every download costs Nokia money. So the leadership <laughs> didn't want us to sort of be writing a blank check. So we said, you know, this thing's on fire. We've got momentum. Please let us do some more, uh, you know, give us some more lining so we can buy some more licenses and, and get some more downloads going. And, you know, thankfully they saw, oh, this is a great opportunity. And they, they did go for it and we were able to get those um, extra downloads. And uh, that is how Nokia Z Launcher took off. Uh, I think we we're all delighted. Um, it was just sort of like emotional um, and quite an experience uh, because if you remember the timing, um, I think it was really around the time that the Nokia Microsoft deal was actually closing. And so as people were saying, right, well, there goes the consumer division of Nokia. What is Nokia going to do now? Is there anything left? And we worked really hard to get it out in time. So around the time people were having these uh, conversations, we could crash into that conversation and say, we are still here. We are still standing, you know, albeit on like one stumpy little leg and that's all we had left, but we were still standing on something. And uh, so from there, we, we worked on Z Launcher. We got the okay to uh, continue investing in it. I think we, we built up more features that people had asked for, um, you know, some form of folders, for example, was a, a common request. Um, and then eventually led to greenlighting the Nokia N1 tablet. Oh, that tablet. Um, <laughs> it was a, I mean, if you've ever held an N1 tablet, I mean, as a piece of like physical Nokia hardware, uh, or at least, you know, Nokia designed and branded hardware, like it was lovely. I still have mine. It feels great. It's a wonderful little size. Um, and um, it's it's really, I guess, everything else that, uh, that was the problem with that. Uh, when we announced it, uh, we, we went to uh, uh, you know, Helsinki uh, to announce it, I think at, at Slush, and that was a really exciting, um, like emotional thing to be a part of, um, you know, coming back to Finland and, uh, you know, getting a chance to tell people like in Helsinki and in, in Finland that, you know, we are still here and we have plans for the future. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to build something special here. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, swarmed the booth, and I think they were just excited and happy to see it. There was some, you know, there was still some physical thing with a Nokia logo on it that they could uh, eventually buy, uh, or at least that was the plan. Uh, in reality, uh, it never really mm -hmm. got sold outside of China, uh, which was, I think, one of the many sort of uh, ways in which the whole project uh, went wrong. Um, the Nokia N1, uh, it was definitely not a success, uh, and I think there were a, a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one was, uh, I guess, the whole go-to-market strategy of, okay, first we'll get it going in China, uh, and then we'll, you know, take it to Europe from there and, you know, North America and then onwards and upwards to infinity and beyond. 
Uh, it just then never hit its, I guess, sales targets in China. So we never then got to the next milestones of, okay, let's uh, you know move beyond that. And you might say, okay, why did it not um, get past those sales targets in China then? Um, and that's because I think, well, we basically just hadn't actually designed the user interface for China. Um, you know, we, we designed the Z Launcher interface, but it was all about entering a, you know, Western, like Latin character, like the letter T, the letter R, you know, whatever you would want to put. And you might think, oh, well, there's a, a natural solution. You could just license a Chinese handwriting recognition, and then it would be a brilliant fit for China. Um, you know, they can just uh, scribble the character in Chinese and find what they're looking for. We didn't do that. Uh, Nokia did not want to go license <laughs> a, Nokia, uh, <laughs> a Chinese hand. Yeah, you know, Pennywise, pound foolish. I mean, yeah. I mean, Nokia. There were so many Nokia stories that are basically some variation of this story. <laughs> yeah, we, we, really we knew the exact idea. right thing to do. Out, yeah, but we could save eight cents by doing the wrong thing. So of course we went with that. And uh, because so if of you that, had a pinion really... launcher, yeah. So if you had a pinion launcher, there could have been a Nokia N two tablet. Um, I think if we had, well, I guess technically we did have a pinion launcher in that, um, like you would like the sort of the, the hack that we put together so we could have something for the, the China market, uh, was literally writing pinyin, you know, the style where you're writing out like what the Chinese char character sounds like in Latin letters. Um, you know, like why, like if you want to say, yeah, like, you know, the letter Y, letter A, letter O. So we did yep. ship that. So we were asking Chinese to, uh, handwrite in pinyin, which is sort of a thing they, they never really did. Like. If you're in China, the only time you use pinyin was at a, a keyboard with Latin letters. So typing pinyin, yes, like writing with your hand pinyin was not a thing that users uh, in China really did. And uh, it showed. But yeah, you wonder, had we had like actual Chinese characters um, recognition? Actually, I hate to say it, I think it still wouldn't have worked uh, just because of all the other problems <laughs> we had with the N1. Um, yeah. So another problem we had is, uh, again, in the spirit of like, how can we do this for cheaper? Uh, which, you know, I guess when you're like trying to ship like a billion plus dumb phones to like, you know, China, India, Africa in the glory days is the right sort of mindset to have. Is not really the best answer when you're trying to ship your very first flagship and have things go right and make a positive first impression? Um, so in our little Android device, um, we didn't actually have ARM chips. Uh, we were one of those companies uh, using Intel's um, attempt to shoehorn x86 into Android. If there ever was a company where, what's that say, when you have, when all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Uh, that was definitely Intel and just, you know, x86, all the things. They probably tried to put it on a smartwatch if you left them alone for long enough. Um, <laughs> but it did not um, work. Um, rather, they, you know, they had like, what was I'm sure from an engineering perspective, absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant abilities. So, you know, like, I guess, you know, like translate the code uh, from ARM into x86 on the fly. Uh, and make a lot of stuff work, you know, at, at fairly low power and efficiently. But the problem was it didn't make everything work. And when you're trying to sell a tablet, you're, you know, you're selling like this will confidently run everything you want to run on it. You'll never have to worry, is an app going to work, like be there and work or not. And that wasn't a guarantee we could make because not every single app or game would work. It was like, I want to say, even if it's like 99%, uh, 90 something percent, um, people would just say, well, why take on that additional risk? Uh, if I could just go buy this cheaper, you know, Chinese brand tablet where I don't have any sort of weird uh, Roman, you know, Latin character interface to deal with. And I know it'll run everything ever. Um, so, yeah, a bit, bit of an uphill uh, battle then. You basically, you know, sent it to the market that would be the least likely to uh, want it. 
Um, I mean, speaking of sending it into market, uh, the other problem was just um, that the people sending it to market, um, you know, had really no idea how to send something into a market and that, you know, so every hardware manufacturer, I mean, Nokia included uh, back in the day, like it's, it's kind of rare to own your own factories and just to be completely vertically integrated and run them, right? Um, you know, even Apple today, like Apple doesn't own a single factory. They don't make anything. They, they tell uh, giant mega factories in, in China and other countries in Asia to build them for them. But then the difference is like after Foxconn at all had like made you like, you know, one bajillion iPhones, Apple then says, right, give them to us and we will handle go-to-market distribution, put them in our stores, putting them in other stores. Um, in our case, like Nokia, again, we just sold off all that machinery and the leadership was very not keen uh, to try to build that up again, which, you know, from their perspective is certainly understandable. You know, if you have literally just become probably the single biggest consumer electronics failure uh, in history, uh, you're not really keen to say, right, let's go do that again. So they said, Foxconn, can you do the go-to-market stuff for us? Uh, and Foxconn said, sure. But, you know, they're really good at building stuff, uh, not so good at go-to-market. And so they were, it seemed like learning by doing. Um, and there were all these other things that we were learning by doing because we had never relied on someone to take our own stuff to market before. You know, we had always done it ourselves. And there were so many Nokia values that, like, we had just so internalized as a company and as a team that we didn't realize needed to be restated. And one of those is around like what is appropriate and inappropriate in marketing. Um, Tom, I would be willing to bet that you never did or even considered marketing any Nokia product uh, with a cardboard cutout of a woman in a bikini holding the Nokia product. Oh no, but, but Russia did. <laughs> so, Love it. So, so, Love it. Um, one of one of the biggest challenges of my time in in Nokia, as I mentioned earlier, you had this like local market situation where basically all the power in Nokia to make shit sat in the product teams centrally. So you know those two business units I mentioned, all the power to sell shit um, and do marketing sat mostly in the local team. Um, and like so, for example, when I was head of digital marketing for Europe, my my inverted commas team had a budget of 40 million euros a year and there are about 30 people working. But in reality, those people all sat in their own countries and the person who set their goals and decided what bonus they got was the country manager, not me. That meant they didn't give a fuck what I thought. They would, they would just <laughs> do what the country manager told them because that guy was effectively like their real boss. I was like, you know, just the guy in the middle who they'd ask questions and they'd know how to do stuff. Um, what that meant was You've got some really bizarre stuff. So, so my personal favorite was one day getting a phone call um, from the global comms person saying, hey, what the hell's going on in Russia? I, I, I don't know what, what's happened. Anyway, Russia had uploaded this video on their YouTube channel. Evergreen question there. Um, talking about what to do if your phone, yeah, sort of what, what to do if your phone gets wet. And what they got was firstly, they were talking about the whole, you know, put it in rice trick. You know, which, as we all know, works sometimes, not other times. But also, our our customer care team, and you can talk to Wayne about this at the time, was um, hated that trick because it, it it kind of meant like we didn't want to say it because of various legal reasons. We didn't want to accept responsibility if it didn't work. Um, and you know, obviously, when a phone got water damaged, we wanted nothing to do with it. Our warranties, everything said, if you get water damage, it's your problem. So we were never meant to say anything about this. So making a bloody video about it at all was stupid. But the best bit is how they did the video. They had a Russian model, very attractive 
female Russian model in a bathtub, her modesty covered only by bath bubbles. And as she suggestively moved around the bathtub, as the camera panned around her in a rather dark, you know, sort of uh, room, she was talking to the camera, explaining what happened if her if her bar, if her um, phone got wet and how to fix it. Um, it basically looked like a really, really weird and fucked up intro to a porno. And um, <laughs> when I phoned the Russian team and said, "Can you please take it down? This is inappropriate. What the hell are you doing?" I was told, well, this is how we do things in Russia. This helps us sell phones in Russia. But I don't care. Take it down. Comms are going to kill me. Oh. <laughs> Can I still find that on YouTube, Tom? <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I think I think all evidence was destroyed. Um, but yeah, um, but yes, John's John's right. There were there were, and, and, and we found this actually going into Microsoft as well. There were. Um, Sort of things that we'd taken for granted as as Nokia and just the way that things were done, you know, the way that bloggers were managed, the way that events were done, the way we staffed things. You know, for example, when they went to events, they had scripts for everything. And what you were told, what you told a customer when they walked by your booth was based on a script. We never had scripts of any sort, really. We just had bullet points of here are the key selling points, here's what you want to talk about. And then the idea was you put your own sort of story together of how you tell it, which made it much more natural. And, you know, there were all things like that, which, uh, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer. I preferred the Nokia way, but that's probably because I've worked in it for several years. But, yeah, there was this sudden quite a big culture shock of, like, holy shit, like, it's not the way we're used to doing things. But, yeah, the Russians were a law unto themselves. They just (laughs) did what they wanted. Yeah. Well, it's Russia. Maybe and, they mentoring uh, Team Foxconn over there. <laughs> and, and it's an interesting and, uh, take, John, on the uh, on the N1 tablet with the Intel chip too, because I remember uh, ASUS having that same issue with their Android tablets uh, with not everything running uh, yeah, as it should. It's, um, yeah, a bit of a bummer. But, you know, the reason, um, not that I was privy to these conversations and I could just be uh, hearing it wrong, my understanding was... Um, Intel, like the reason they had say, let's go with Intel instead of just a standard ARM processor that won't give us any issue is because Intel were offering subsidies if you were to, uh, you know, sign up with them. Um, and I just thought, well, that's strange. Didn't we see what happened when we just sort of uh, picked a strategically disastrous decision to uh, get a subsidy out of it? But I guess, you know, why, why learn from your mistakes and just do it all over again? Uh, but yeah, that was uh, the, the driving factor. And that just goes back into, you know, again, like, determination to minimize build, uh, minimize cost, um, you know, minimize costs at all costs, I guess. And, uh, you know, it doesn't always uh, work out as planned. And I think that really and is that's what one doomed those, that, the N1. That's one of those things that was just like built into Nokia's way of doing things from the basis of, you know, Nokia made its money selling dumb phones which are a mm-hmm. very, very, very simple piece of tech relative to a smartphone or a tablet. Um, and so when you're making dumb phones and you've got ridiculously high market share in places like China and, and India and so on, then it is saving a penny a unit on, say, shipping costs can actually make a million-dollar difference a year to your bottom line or tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. a year to your bottom line. And so a large part of what Nokia was focused on for a very long time was, yeah, how do we build this cheaper? And if it has a marginally negative impact on the user experience, well, it does. Um, 
I mean, to give you an idea of how embedded some of that thinking was, there was a serious discussion inside Nokia in around 2013 to start selling the Nokia phones without, without plugs and cables. So you know how Apple have done that now, right? Where if you buy an iPhone now, you, you get a cable, but you don't get a plug. Because yep. they work on the basis that everyone has a plug at home, you know? Um, Nokia were talking about actually doing that, but also taking the cables out, I think, back in like 2013. And I, the logic was really sound. One, it would save us a shed load of money because we don't have to make shitloads of plugs. We don't have to make shitloads of cables. And we have can to ship, ship them in bigger boxes. much smaller, lighter boxes. Yeah, we, we, we save tons of money, right? The problem is, back then, the user experience would be terrible, particularly for anyone switching from, say, an iPhone um, or from a dumb phone that used a different cable system. We weren't at the point yet where just everyone had a cable lying around so it didn't really matter, and we didn't have the market share to, to allow for it. But this discussion got surprisingly far. Like It got to a point where me, as a social media guy, was being told about it. And, and everybody in the more consumer-facing marketing side of the business, so people like me and everyone around me, they, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. And pushing back really hard, saying, no, 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 that's going to, that's that, like, we don't, we don't have the, you know, the strength in market to get away with that. Apple could get away with that. We couldn't. And I think eventually we got listened to on that one, and obviously it never happened. But, like, that's how embedded that thinking was. Like, I remember having a discussion with the guys who made the boxes once about getting a Nokia like Twitter icon and Twitter handle and stuff put on the knock on the on the boxes. And they were literally concerned about the fraction of a penny per box it would cost to have that printed. <laughs> and so that's the level at which, you know, Nokia's cost control was done. And and as the business changed from being low margin volume to high margin, you can see how that would cause issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pennywise, pound foolish. Exactly. Yep. Bit of a bummer, really. You know, I think it could have uh, had some success. I mean, I think you can keep asking these questions. Oh, have we done this? Would it have succeeded? Well, not really because this. What about if you did fix that? Oh, no, then it would have failed because of that. Uh, and you could even take that all the way up to like, does selling a tablet even make sense? Because no one, again, outside of Apple, really has a, a high volume, high margin tablet business. Uh, now, granted, uh, that perhaps would have been an issue if you could just prove there is some demand for it, and that in turn can fuel like the well, what we really wanted to work on, which of course was uh, as the uh, months started ticking down on that, uh, what is it, eighteen month moratorium on when Nokia could not build phones. Um, you know, even back then they said, well, right, so how are we going to get back into phones? Because uh, you know, while they want they had these uh, you know plans to put Nokia brands on all sorts of things, uh, which they have come to fruition somewhat in India more so than than other places. Um, you know, one of those was, of course, back to phones. And um, we were working on like Z launcher that would ship as like some, you know, Nokia branded, still, of course, externally manufactured phone and all that. Um, but it was a uh, it would have been, you know, lovely. I would have had Z. I remember on your previous podcast, you were talking about this. Why didn't uh, why don't HMD use Z launcher? Well, of course, Z launcher doesn't exist anymore for them to use. Uh, but at the time, the initial thinking was let's try to differentiate with this um, launcher. Uh, and we were we were gearing up. We were working. I think the last thing I was working on before uh, we got laid off was what would the experience on the the low power screen be? Um, you know, with the clock and like because some other companies like Motorola had done great work in letting you do some very basic you know navigational uh, information seeking activities on the low power screen. So what were we going to do in that space? 
And uh, it's the last thing I remember. And they uh, file us into a room. There's some uh, cheap muffins there. And we're told, uh, yeah, you're all uh, going to be laid off in the next couple of weeks. Did you, did you at least take the muffins? Um, I mean, one of the advantages of actually staying in, in Nokia for longer was that when 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 we all got, or when lots of us got laid off, I, as I said, I, I, I actually like, resigned. I didn't get laid off, which was kind of stupid. I would have got quite a lot of money if I stuck around to get laid off. <laughs> um, but, um, but my God, some of the stuff that people got out of that company. One of my mates has literally got a drawer full of Nokia Oros. Um, another of my mates has got a guitar that was signed by Green Day, um, and that, which came from the Nokia music team, obviously, which was another great idea that was poorly executed. Um, I've got, like, you know, I think I've still got, I've got a drawer full of Lumias. Um, God knows what. I said, there's probably some prototypes in there that I don't even remember what, what they were. Like, there's, there's, you know. You got a yellow 920, Tom, sorry? I think I do have a yellow 920. <laughs> All right, can I, I have it, please? <laughs> <laughs> I knew where that was going. I have a look. Um, I've got a, uh, I've, I've definitely got a couple of 920s in there. Um, but like, okay, John, here's a question. I've got a question for John, if that's okay. Yes, it's okay. Um, <laughs> John, what was your favorite Nokia product that got shit canned? Oh, favorite Nokia product that got shit canned. That is uh, a rather <laughs> lengthy list, isn't it? Um <laughs> Yeah, I have to think back. I probably missed out on a lot of the, uh, I guess, maybe I'd just say, um, it wasn't, no, I, I would say like the one of the melt to be ones, but to be fair, <laughs> that was uh, not turning out well. Um, I would think, yeah, you know, I would love shit. to see my own, um, yeah, my Ion, like the Nokia Ion, uh, tiny little uh, smartphone. Like if that actually managed to launch, even if we could have executed on half of what we wanted to, that would have been a really nice, uh, it would have yeah. been fantastic, you know. A Nokia Android device with some meaningful differentiation. Um, you know, it never would have been like old Nokia. You just need massive amounts of like you know money, uh, you know revenue and margins, onset revenue to sustain a business like that. And you know HMD don't have that today. No Android company, I think, outside of Samsung really does. Maybe some some in China, but you know it would have been a great sort of I guess a last hurrah. Uh, and you know who knows? You never really know what might have happened. What about you, Tom? Mine what was your favorite um, uh, Moonraker. But my yeah, Moonraker. You guys know what, what Moonraker was? Did that ever live? Yeah, great looking watch. Yeah. So, so the reason why Moonraker was my favourite was um, that me and I think John was involved in this. We had this plan to oh, um, yes create create the world's first. Well, well, basically, to Moonraker was a watch, but, but as with most smart devices, it was actually just a really small smart device in a in a in a, in a strap, right? You know, like a Fitbit. If you take the strap off, it's just a little mm. block, yep. right? So, so we were like, well, hold on a minute. Again, 3D printing. Why can't we allow people to just print different things to put this in? So something mm, for your bike, something that. for your car, something for your... And, and I wanted to PR it with the world's first smart pocket watch by creating a 3D printable pocket watch attachment to, to print <laughs> off so that you could do that. Um, and various, so we had various other ideas around it. And I'd flown to New York um, to meet with MakerBot, who were doing all the design work for us, and John, I think, to, to just go and go through this stuff. And I got to New York, so I'd been on the flight, got to New York, turned my phone on when we landed, and I had about four text messages from different people saying, hey, Moonraker's been cancelled, can you get the next flight back, please? <laughs> and so I, I got to New York, and I got, so I went to my hotel, because I thought, I'm not flying back straight away, I'm knackered. 
I went to my hotel and I phoned the like travel guys and they were like, look, it's going to cost more money to change your flight than for you to just stay in New York for three days and then fly back when you were meant to anyway. And I was like, fine, all right. So I just phoned boss and said, look, this is what's happened. I'm staying in New York for a few days. Is that all right? And he was just like, yeah, all right. So I just had three days doing like doing not much in New York and just bumming around. Um, but yeah, it was Worst place sad. to be it stuck. A, it a, I was just about to say I mean, that. The thing is, it was a lovely phone. I mean, the functionality for it was a bit of a mess. Like, it was a bit of a messy product. But, like, I just really wanted to do the 3D printing thing with it. I thought it would be quite fun. Yeah. I also liked Pine. Yeah. Did you guys ever hear about Pine? No. John, was Pine before your time? Yeah, I, I'm not. It's not ringing any bells. Like, walk me through this. So, so Pine was a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. Right? So, so, back in oh, 2010. narrows it down. Um, <laughs> Nokia had decided they wanted to do a um, wanted to do a, a, an e-reader to compete with the Amazon e-reader, um, you know, uh, stuff that was big back then. So they built this thing called Pine, and its differentiation point was that it was in color. Not that you actually needed your Kindle to be in color. In fact, it was worse because it was in color. Um, <laughs> and they tried to, again, in typical Nokia fashion, they tried to build everything. So they hadn't just built the e-reader. They'd also tried to build, obviously, the bookstore. And they'd licensed the load of books, but it was a really poor selection. Because I think they'd got, like, I think it was a Disney-related thing. I can't remember who it was they'd licensed this from. But, God, it was it was a nightmare. But the best thing about Pine was that the prototype, the one, certainly, that I, I used for a little while, um, it couldn't display the color green. And so it was just this really weird everything. Because if you think about RGB... It just wouldn't display the G. But everything was just really weird colours all the time. It was like like a psychedelic reading experience. <laughs> it, was, it was really messed up. But it was uh, it was it was kind of my favourite in that it was like such a dumb me too idea, if you know what I mean. So if you tripped some acid, it would have been perfect. Oh yeah. It was sort of reading, it was sort of like you tripped acid already. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever had made that product up had been definitely tripping balls. Like, let's put it that way. (laughs) I mean, half the products they did ship were as though one was tripping balls. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to tell you you about... Let's put buttons all around the sides of the screen. That's brilliant. Let's make a lipstick phone. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Like, my favorite, though, experience with the phones was when I very first went to work for Thousand Heads, right? So my first day at Thousand Heads, I was an iPhone user. I got, like, I think it was a 3GS at the time. 2010. Out, or maybe a four, I don't know. But anyway, I went to um, Thousand Heads and I was put in a meeting room and chatting through with people about my job and what it would be and how I was going to work on a Nokia account and all this. And then I was given a Nokia N97 to play with. And I was told, you know, this is the flagship phone, blah, 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 play with this. You know, tell us what you think in a you know, half an hour or whatever. So I thought they were joking. I genuinely thought it was like the when you give a new, give a new kid a dumb job, like, hey, go and find me a left-handed screwdriver. Like I genuinely thought it was a joke. I thought they must have given me like a, they must have given me a five-year-old <laughs> phone because it was so laggy, it was so shit, it was so bad. I was like, so they came back and they were like, yeah. So what, what do you what do you think? I was like, yeah, haha, very funny. Where's the real one? I was like, you're not going up against you know like <laughs> iPhone with this, are you? And you could just see like the oh, guy Frank was the boss. His face just kind of falls, and it was just weird. He was like, I was like, is it really cheap? And he was like, no. I was like. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, got my hands on N nine hundred and then felt better about life for a little while. But you know, <laughs> yeah, that was good. I've got one of them. 
Yeah, they are. They are. They were right. good. They were heavy yeah. and big, but they, they were good. All right. Exactly. Yeah, felt great. All right, Tom, I've got a question for you, my friend. So, who thought of the 800 apples and potatoes charging a Lumia 930 promo? Because that was uh, quite out there. <laughs> someone oh, tripping out. Someone tri- was it you? Someone, see, was were, were you tripping acid on okay. that one? Or? Um, no. So, so okay, there's a, there's a bit of a story behind this one. So, before we did the apples and potatoes, we did um, the lightning, where we charged the phone with a bolt of lightning. Do you remember that one? Mm. No, I don't. So if you haven't seen that one, look that one up. That was quite big in the British media, and, uh, and there was a logic behind it. So, so what happened is um, I was head of digital for Europe, and in my role as head of digital for Europe, I, as I explained earlier, I largely didn't actually have a lot to do. It was a very easy job. My basic role was being the interface, as they would call it, between the global team and the local team. What that meant was telling the global team to fuck off where I needed to and telling the local team to shut up and do it when they needed to. And it was it was so so... But my boss was quite, and then my boss was a guy called Mark who worked for Florian. Florian's now the CEO of HMD, I think. Um, but they've had this kind of realization that, look, Samsung and Apple were outspending us on TV adverts and you know general advertising budgets by five to ten times. So for every dollar we spent, they would spend between five and ten. And so the only way for us to compete, because we couldn't afford to spend more money because we were losing money, was to make our advertising five times more effective. So, you know, generate five times as many eyeballs or comments or impressions or whatever for the same money. And the best way to do that was to do fucking crazy shit. And who was the guy who could do lots of fucking crazy shit? Well, Tom's quite good at that. He's the dude who did the 3D printing thing. And he's the dude who's done, who did the thing with the, you know, colors like comparison with Apple. You know, I didn't actually do that. It was the UK marketing team who did that. It was Pierre who came up with the idea. What I did is I basically said to all of my local marketing teams, I will give, I will buy a bottle of champagne and dinner for anybody who gets more than a thousand retweets on anything making fun of Apple tonight. And by the time I got home, about an hour after sending that email, Pierre and Selena, who was his internal manager, had emailed me saying they'd got 8,000 retweets. And by the time I opened my phone to check it, it got like 10,000. But anyway, so, so they kind of trusted me on doing crazy shit. So they basically gave me a full amount of money and a retainer with a PR agency and said, go off and do do all the crazy dumb shit you've wanted to do. And I was sat with a PR agency in the meeting and there was a lightning storm raging outside. And we were we were going through this kind of argument about what we should do to promote cameras. And one of them was like, hey, how about if we got like loads of really great photos of the lightning? And I was like, that's boring as shit. Like, Everyone's got great photos of lightning. I could take great photos. Like, that's not going to cut through with the media. I don't care about that. Like, come on. And I looked at it, and I was like, hey, do you reckon we could charge a phone with a bolt of lightning? And everyone was like, no, no. And this guy, Dave, who we used to call Digital Dave, he was a bit of a nerd, went, well, actually, if you pushed it to a large enough capacitor and you did this, this, and this, maybe you could. And then me and him started going back and forth on crazy ideas of how we could do it, which resulted in a phone call to the Southampton High Voltage Lab um, a few days later, me and Dave have hired out the Southampton High Voltage Lab, and we're down there with a literal crazy guy in a white coat who spends his life sapping shit with fake lightning for a living, trying to make a phone charge with a bolt of lightning. That's a good Which job. we successfully did. We filmed. We filmed it. We got it on. We got it on um, lo- lots of media, like it was in the Daily Mail online. It was in lots of places. Um, and it was quite successful. Um, and then we were like, well, how do we follow that up? 
And obviously, we'd positioned it around innovative ways to charge your phone in relation to, you know, wireless charging and all that stuff we were doing. And we were like, and then we were like, well, well, you know, talking about potato clocks and other ways to get electricity and alternative energy sources. And I just was like, I wonder how many potatoes it would take to charge a light, to charge a phone. And so we found this guy on, on the internet, literally on YouTube, who did it. Basically, he did these videos where he would charge things with large amounts of, you know, potatoes or whatever. And it was mostly like getting his TV to run or doing things like that. And we basically emailed him and said, hey, do you reckon you can do it with a phone and Nokia will pay you if you can do it in the UK? And he was like, yeah. And actually what I wanted it to be, is I wanted it to be a box, right, with all these potatoes and stuff in it. And you could put your phone on the top of it and it would charge. And so we could have them in like Vodafone stores and in like T-Mobile stores. And it was like, you know, like kind of like fun little thing. Um, but for whatever reason, the PR agency ended up going down the road of making it into a billboard. But it was still pretty crazy and pretty fun. Yeah, we went to Oh, we did some absolutely mental stuff. I'm trying to think of some of the other stuff we did. Um, oh, we made a billboard that we put up somewhere that literally changed um, the message on the billboard. The words changed depending on the temperature. So it was about, you know, using gloves. Remember we had, we were the first ones uh, to have the phone that you could use with regular gloves. Yeah. So, so we had, we had something around that. Um, that wasn't as successful, but I rather enjoyed doing it. Um, we had, we did loads of obviously really funny, um, like, you know, kind of digs at Apple, digs at Samsung kind of TV commercials and stuff that most we, a lot of those had me somewhere behind them. The German um, zombies one, has me behind it um and what i used to do with those is i used to put them online as unlisted right and then i would send them to one or two bloggers it was normally Nirav because he was very good at it and then we would get basically almost a million views on it before we even put the video public because Nirav would post it as a leak and say it's a leak of the next <laughs> nokia tv ad uh, when actually i'd given it to him and i knew what he was doing the other thing i used to do with them that was quite fun is i used to go onto the apple forums um and post it on like the apple iphone fanboy forums of like oh my god look at how how horrible nokia are being about apple um and then all the apple fanboys would start viewing it and jumping on it and commenting it and sharing it but obviously then the nokia fanboys would start fighting with the apple fanboys and all we got was shitloads of engagement and as john who now works at facebook knows that just boosted our visibility in everyone's news feeds so we didn't give a shit I was literally spending as much time on Apple forums posting as I was on Nokia forums. <laughs> there's, there's one word for that, thing, Tom. Right? Yeah, there's one word for that. That's genius. That is absolutely genius. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a fun period in my life. Do people do fun things like that anymore? I feel like I just haven't seen them in the longest time. They've got like kind of two, like, like, yeah, I mean, Microsoft kind of very hard moved away from it. But the thing is, Microsoft were very bad at it. Like, as right. you know, I mean, we did one brilliant thing in Microsoft, which was the DOS for Windows Phone. Yeah, I um, yes, which was, I remember which was, that. Me and a guy called Rick had that idea over a curry in in uh, <laughs> London. And basically what we were doing is we were sat there, we were like, Nokia's always played really well off its history. You know, the 3310 memes that we used to do and all that kind of stuff. Um What's Microsoft got in its history that we can make sort of jokingly use and make fun of in a way for April Fool's Day? Because basically, I was just pissed off. Uh, well, I wanted to sort of go there, but there was a there's a there's a seriously big rule in Microsoft that you do not talk about Cliffy. 
It's like the one rule of Microsoft. You do not talk about clipping. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. In, in Microsoft, in Microsoft, Microsoft, like, Microsoft's much better now. And I think it was different in 2013, 14 when I was there. But like, it's much better now at making fun of itself a little bit and seeing itself for what it is, you know? Um, and, and they're much mm. more relaxed. And I think that the, the, the work that their leadership team, like in Satya Nadella, have done to make that happen is seriously incredible. It's like, it's an incredible transformation. But like, the the one thing that they were always really sensitive about when I was there was Clippy. They just, you just didn't mention Clippy. And if someone did, they would get bollocks. It was like, it was not like, it was just like, it was not worth the hassle of getting, you, you know, you just don't mention Clippy. But like, um, anyway, so, so we came up with, we it basically is, yeah, we came up with the idea of doing this thing around DOS. And we just thought it was quite amusing, the idea of a command line interface for, for, a, for a smartphone. And so we went, we only have hardly any money. So we went to this little agency that Rick knew out in um, Finland and asked him to build it for us. And we had like, I don't know, 5,000 euros, which is not a lot of money in the context of what we asked them to do. But they loved the idea so much. They didn't just build it for us. They built it like three times as well as we expected. And they're the guys who had all the ideas to hide all the dumb little things in there, like little games and like, you know, make the dial-up modem noise when you click on the modem and you know, when you click on internet and all this kind of stuff and the whole Windows 3.1 thing that they basically built into there. Um, like, so we ended up with this really great product and we just, on April Fool's Day, because the big thing we wanted was we wanted to beat Google. We wanted our April Fool's Day jokes to be better than Google's because they always did a really good one. Um, and a lot of the people inside Microsoft at the time were quite anti us doing this. And I was kind of told by a couple of people, you're really taking a risk here. Like, you know, a lot of people think this is going to go really wrong for us and backfire. And they're really ready to like, you know, have a you know, really go for you after this. But we did it anyway. because we were just like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like, you know, I, I was, the, I was the view that I'd already decided I was leaving. So I didn't really care. Um, so we did it and we made this kind of tongue in cheek launch video. Um, and it obviously went wild. Um, and the best thing was when The Verge wrote an article, I think, that said um, something like, you know, finally, Windows Phone has a must-have app. And it was like, if I tried to write the article myself, that's probably what I would have titled it. <laughs> so that was quite fun. Um, but like, um, yeah, that was that was my favorite thing we did there. But Windows, Microsoft were a lot, they really didn't like the going after Apple stuff because obviously they'd, kind of tried to do that for a while and not done a very good job of it. And I think so they pulled away from it and they were a bit sensitive about it. So we kind of, and also when you're Nokia, you have such a level of brand love, you can get away with poking fun at other people. When you're Microsoft, it's different. You know, they didn't have the same brand as Nokia did in that way. So they kind of, you couldn't do it mm -hmm. as well. I sort of get the impression that Steve Barmer's sort of uptight sort of a guy. I never that? really was... I was never like I, I was never senior enough to ever. I don't ever think I even was in the same room as Steve Farmer. What I would say about Microsoft yeah. under Steve Farmer was that it wasn't necessarily they were uptight. It was that they were they sort of believed their own bullshit a little bit. Hmm. Like I think the thing that Satya Nadella hmm. really brought in when he took over was this sense of like sort of openness and humbleness. And, and I think, like, in Nokia, we were used to, and, and, you know, me and John used to this, we were used to having very robust discussions internally. And let's be honest, we were never oh, listened yeah. to in most things. But, you know, remember the one where I called out Blanca on that call and had, like, 50 people sort of 
backed me up on it when I basically said that she was talking shit about, you know, the market size for Asher. You know, we had mm-hmm. discussions like that where you could, as a, as, a, as a middle manager, call out a senior VP publicly and say, no, I think this is crap. I think it's all crap. And they would, they would, they would entertain the discussion with you. And, and that was uh, like, yeah. in, in Microsoft, it felt like you couldn't really do that. Mm. I mean, you probably could, but you would get, you would, you would, it would have a very different impression. There was this, there was this kind of very much also not invented here syndrome in there and, and, you know, things like that. Um, but like, I don't think it was uptightness. I think it was, it was competitiveness. They were incredibly competitive and uh, like in a very kind of American business sense. I mean that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like that's gone away in, with Satya, but I get the impression it's changed um, in a very good way that's enabled them to be much more open to see that, you know. I remember Balmer's the guy who called Linux a disease. Never or communism. You know, I mean, look at Yeah, well, that's what, he's, that's what he said. And that now, if you look at myself now, they've got like Linux stuff coming out their ears because mm. they've realized yeah. that they have a position in that ecosystem. They don't have to build a competitor to that ecosystem that's better. And that was always their approach. And that's where did Windows Phone, whereas now they're not trying to do Windows Phone. They're building on the ecosystems that are already there, i.e. Apple and Google's ecosystem. They will try and build their own and other things. Like I, will, I can see they're going to probably try and do their own thing in, in AR, you know, with HoloLens and what will come of that. But they've, they've understood that, that you don't have to compete by, by just, you know, building everything from the ground up and owning every piece of it you can slot into what's already there and i think that's just an incredibly positive thing for them and that's why they're one of the most valuable companies in the world now that's true that's true all right well changing tack i think adrian's got a fun question for uh john Uh-oh. do got a couple of fun <laughs> questions coming up uh so <laughs> i hope you don't wait be cringeworthy yeah wait for this one john <laughs> let's do it all right, Sir John, is there a way to cheat the system on Bumble so I can get more matches? He's he's a single guy, John. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, keep on using Bumble, you know, uh, quality app, at least it was by the time I left. Um, <laughs> there is no secret uh, unless you consider being rich and handsome a secret. Looking for some info- inside information, I thought someone had programmed something, you know, and some backdoor thing um but uh i mean i used to no. do that for myself like i i wanted to be like you know remember myspace and there was always myspace tom i said look i want to be the myspace <laughs> tom of bumble i want every woman to see my profile before anyone else's but they never went for it just kind of a bummer yeah the thing is the thing is that actually john they implemented that he just didn't change how many matches he got that's, the, <laughs> that's <the thing. laughs> yeah can't fix it an insurmountable problem but uh i think just having a profile that's well don't have a bare bones profile, you know, have a variety of photos of you doing various things that suggest you, uh, I don't know, have hobbies and also have friends. Uh, <laughs> those are two things that, that people like I hear. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's also just purely a numbers game. So much as I love Bumble, I would say put yourself out there for every single dating app that you can stand and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, try to talk to people and, uh, you know, go on as many dates as it takes, I guess. I mean, goodness. I was, I was working for a dating say, app and single can- and... That was a wonderful way to sort of mix business and pleasure, but it was uh, it was a numbers game. I was really running up those numbers for a while, and I lucked out in the end. <laughs> well, I could I could say one thing about Adrian. He might have hobbies, but he doesn't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> Besides me, of course. 
Yeah, I hear the. I I hear the 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 Nokia team have a few um, cardboard cutouts with various ladies they can sell. If you're interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> John's just yeah. right in there. I love ladies. Yeah, ladies <laughs> and their tablets. <laughs> All, right. All right. I've got a question for you, John. So look, I was, I've been. I was doing the research for this podcast this week, and uh, I stumbled on your uh, John versus Internet repository, if that's what you'd call it. Oh God! Uh, it's yeah. a great reference. Yeah, it's a great reference, and it's a, like it's a Thomas and a tech and uh, business at the time from a few years ago. Where do you see tech and business today, and what do you foresee for the future of the industry? And this could be you, you maybe uh, owning Facebook or Apple. Yeah. Well, goodness, something like that. a real question. <laughs> Um, I mean, my, I, I have not, I, I really do need to write stuff. I actually did write some articles more about dating, uh, that Bumble would not let me publish at the time. Uh, I really should just go back and get the publish button now that I don't work for them anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, where, where does business go? I mean, it, it's kind of a question. I think what is clear to me is that there's always a sort of like, I guess like, you know, locus and like, I don't know, like center of a, of a supernova where the energy is. Um, you know, like what is the sort of like frontier of technology and innovation and excitement that, that people get the most interested in? Um, you know, and I think one thing that became clear to me is that at least, you know, for me personally, it is like at once upon a time, it was the smartphone and the wave of innovation that unleashed. But I think we've reached a point where like, you know, smartphones just don't like excite passions in me the way they once did, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, got, got resolved, I guess. Um, you know, I'm just now one of those people who just like has an iPhone and next year I'll get the iPhone after that and after that. And I really just stopped thinking about it. Like, you know, we've moved on to other things like, well, even like social, social media. I mean, that's even people are moving on from that to other forms of it. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out, um, where are those like next areas of innovation? Um, you know, this is probably obligatory time to drop in the word crypto. Not that I know what it means yet, but, uh, someday I just might. Um, AR, VR, uh, those are very exciting areas. I certainly wish Facebook all the best uh, in trying to crack that nut. Uh, it would be very nice to have a platform that the company owns. Um, and you know, biotech, uh, that seems to be an exciting area. So yeah, I guess the, the question is like, if smartphones are not the center of the universe and they're just sort of more of a, a commodity or a, a platform on which other exciting things are built, I mean, what are the exciting things out there? Like what? And, you know, maybe there's no one answer. Like, what are going to be the, the things that get us excited? Like, I don't think Nokia as a company or H&D as a company would ever, um, you know, even be capable of exciting our passions the way that uh, Nokia was able to a decade ago. And really, no smartphone company can because it's just not that interesting a space anymore, you know? It's like uh, getting excited over desktop PCs, which once upon a time people did, right? Like, oh, my God, the, the latest Pentium is so much better than the other Pentium <laughs> and that AMD, whatever it's called. And then they just sort of become, like, like standard, like, you know, I just realized the other day, I haven't updated my MacBook since 2013. I have a 13-inch MacBook Pro from, uh, you know, eight years. And I'm like, well, why would I update it? You know, it's just not the locus of my uh, obsession anymore. And I want to see what's next. So here's, here's, VR, a, here's a question. The, the question that comes off it is, like, that's interesting is, what do you use these devices to do, right? And the answer, mm. really, whether you're looking at your like, at your um, MacBook or you're looking at your, your iPhone or your tablet or whatever it might be and whatever system you use, Android phone, whatever, is you use them to access the internet. And mm -hmm. everything you do involves accessing data from another place, you know? So, for example, you go on Facebook, well, you're obviously accessing Facebook servers. You use Google Maps, well, 
obviously. You know, you get your email, you know, blah, 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 blah. 95 to 99% of what you do on a smartphone or a PC or a tablet is consuming information from somewhere else, be it Netflix, be it Instagram, be it, you know, whatever. Um, and so there comes a point where you say, well, unless you're, you know, obviously a programmer or a content creator where you do have to use your PC for doing that stuff, which is a little different, but even a lot of that's moving into the cloud. Um, you, you sort of say, okay, well, what, at what point do we hit a level where actually my, the internet connections here, maybe it's not 5G, maybe it's the what's next or what's next after that, but where do you hit a level where I could pick up your smartphone, say Adrian's smartphone or John's smartphone, and I could hold it up to my face or touch it with my fingerprint, and it would instantly download my profile. And then that smartphone becomes my part smartphone. And then when I put it down again on the table and close it, then it sort of resets to a blank state. And as soon as John picks it up, then he touches it with his fingerprint or scans his face with it, and it becomes John's smartphone. You know, or the same with PCs or the same with cars. The, the, the bigger overarching trends that I personally think sit behind this the trends in you know the speed of data you know which is growing obviously exponentially 5g is a lot faster than 4g and 6g will be x million times faster than 5g but also the move of everything to the cloud and the idea that we just don't own our shit anymore. you know we don't own music we have a license to spotify we don't yeah. own movies we have a license to netflix we don't own we don't even own our phones in a lot of places. We just rent them effectively off a of Vodafone on a two-year contract. And then, yeah, okay, we can keep them at the end, but we don't have to use them. We just recycle them, spin them, you know, or keep them in a drawer somewhere for a phone nerd. But at what point does everything, almost everything, get to a point where it's just a case of me picking up this effectively dumb terminal, which is obviously what this stuff was in the 80s, really, in a way. Me picking up this dumb terminal, logging into it in some way, and everything being there. And then what makes that interesting for people like Facebook and Microsoft and Apple and people like that is, is who owns the profile? Who owns the user profile? And there are only a few companies in the world who can do that. Google, Apple, Facebook, really, maybe Microsoft, because Amazon, because they're the guys who have enough data to effectively become the single sign-on platform for the internet. I think that's kind of an underrated space that no one's really talking about, but it's great. You know, give it five, 10 years. I'd be very, very surprised if, if the way that we use this tech is still the same. I mean, Google already have it to an extent where like with the Google Chromebooks, they're always internet connected. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? I think there's, there's, there's some interesting potential in that space. This kind of move, move to cloud is not by any stretch over. Well, that's interesting. Oh, that's, that's, that's fun to think uh, is that. You want to figure out what's going to finally, you know, kill Apple. Um, I'm sure I worked for two companies in a row that were basically killed by Apple. I worked for Palm and then I worked for, uh, for Nokia. Uh, I mean, and again, like <laughs> Apple didn't really kill. I think Apple just basically showed Google and Samsung how to kill Nokia and then they, uh, bumped yeah. through. Uh, yeah, but nevertheless, you know, like the, the, the sort of things they did were you, you look at these companies, you know, there's some, um, I mean, again, Nokia always had that sense of self-awareness. And when I was walking around in the, the Silicon Valley research office, like they had that magazine cover from like Forbes in like 2006, you know, saying like, can anything ever stop Nokia? And uh, then, you know, mm. you, just, you think you're invincible and all this kind of, uh, you know, goes, uh, goes off the deep end. 
And you always wonder, well, Apple, essentially, they have infinity trillion dollars. They have this huge corporate immortality. What what takes them out? And, you know, what, what took Nokia out was essentially taking what their superpower was, things that they were the best at and making it so they didn't matter. Uh, Nokia made the absolute best, you know, phones for the purpose of being a phone in the world. You know, they were the most durable. They had the best battery life. They were the cheapest and or they had the most features. And the first iPhone was just objectively terrible at being a phone. I mean, I had one. It crashed all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it couldn't make it through a day uh, on, on battery life. It had no GPS at all, uh, which a lot of you know Nokia's did. And it was you know worse across the board. And well. yet, yeah, it wasn't even three G. And uh, you know Steve Jobs sit there like trying to like you know like Star Wars like force brainwash you saying oh no you don't want three G you want two G. Of course uh, we all go along with it because such was the power of Steve. But like they basically took what Nokia's strengths were and just made it so. You've invested everything you had in being the best at X. Well, X doesn't matter anymore. The table was reset. Uh, and, you know, Apple right now, just they're, they're the best at making a lovely piece of hardware that you want to put in your pocket. And uh, some company, like Tom was saying, needs to come along and say, oh, you're the best at making a piece of personal hardware you carry with you. That doesn't matter anymore. It's all ambient computing. I can walk up to, you know, any, any surface of glass, really, and just, you know, have my face recognized and, and get along with my my affairs and be that as it may, like, I don't need a whole phone. I can just have a, an implant or something that's just, you know, reading my mind, God knows what, like something will come along and leapfrog this. Uh, you know, every company, um, you know, has a lifespan and then they all know this. I mean, I think Jeff Bezos has said, like, you know, at one point Amazon will be, you know, like Sears and Amazon will end. Um, and at Facebook, they're, you know, obsessed with corporate mortality. If you go to the Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park, uh, you see that, uh, you know, the famous sort of giant thumbs up sign. Uh, which I've gotten, you know, my picture taken by as many a tourist has. Mm -hmm. If you walk around to the back of that sign, it is the old faded remnants of the Sun Microsystem sign they used to build it. Uh, and they've done that on purpose. Uh, and if you look in the Facebook headquarters, you can see little bits of Sun Microsystems um, all over because they want to remind you that, you know, nothing is forever. All things end. Uh, Nokia was an empire that fell. Um, Apple is an empire that will fall. Uh, Microsoft is an empire that will fell to this weird place it's in now where it is not the sort of juggernaut uh, of, I guess, industry commanding relevance it once was. And yet, paradoxically, they're richer than they ever have been. So, you know, living a nice sort of like, I guess, imperial afterlife. Um, it is just a question of like, you know, it will fall. Just a question <laughs> of to what, I guess. I love Hopefully to a Western country. That would be ideal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, Adrian, over to you, mate. All three of us are talking to each other. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. all four of us. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, well, Adrian, Adrian is here. Well. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here. It's just, uh, oh. just <laughs> <laughs> everyone talking. You know, everyone from all different parts of the world just talking. Uh, yeah. So thanks to the internet, a uh, bit of a bit of overlap. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So Speak for the, same the language, more or less. Well, that's it. So, for the both of you, what do you think your biggest achievement uh, was in your time? Sorry, in your time working at Nokia. Go on, John. You go first. Oof. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say goodness. My my biggest personal achievement uh, was probably just getting onto the career track that I wanted to get onto. You know, going from something in the like you know marketing into product management, uh, which is a really exciting field for me. Uh, it turns an achievement. And what I did at Nokia that I think had a real impact on, on other people. Um, you no, know, I think 
if it was ever giving anyone uh, a sense of like hope that Nokia was still there uh, after the Microsoft deal had gone through and uh, we'd still release products that were interesting and unique uh, that worked just like everyone else's. And I think we did that with Z Launcher. Um, I guess I would say that, you know, we, we at least held up the hope that Nokia could still go on and do things. And uh, I'd be the first to say we sparked that hope, but we didn't end up really living up to it. But uh, if we made people hope for a little bit longer, then that was worth it. <laughs> I think for it's me, a shame it doesn't work. Oh, it was Sorry. really highly rated. I mean, it was a zombie oh, yeah. app with yeah. a 4.3 rating in the Play Store. It got 2 million downloads. Um, you know, like, well done. I still have the, uh, I think I control their Z Launcher Facebook page, but they finally took me off the Play Store account. <laughs> I, I still have um, access to the Nokia Symbian Facebook app. What? Um, I don't know if it still works. Yeah, uh, let me see. I'm going to my Facebook developer account. Um, but for a long time, I was, I was basically the admin of that thing. Um, I don't know why. I think I got put on there because because it had this Facebook used to have this weird thing which I don't they don't have anymore. Um, where like oh it's gone now. I think it must have got deleted eventually, um, or I got taken off it. But yeah, they had this weird thing where you could on the app page you could leave comments about the app. It had like a wall on the app page. So one day, like I just got emailed from like some random person, be like, "Oh, hey, um, you're the social media guy, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, one of them." And they're like, "Yeah, we've got this page. Uh, it's called Nokia. It's got like, all these comments on it and customer service questions. And no one's replying. Would that be your job?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, but where?" Anyway, we found out it was this random app page, and I got added to it. And um, anyway, when when everything kind of got moved away, I just got left. And, and, and like, obviously, like, I wasn't even working for the company anymore, but up until certainly about a year or a year and a half ago, I could still see that there was this Nokia Symbian. It was literally the Facebook app that allowed Nokia messaging on Symbian 3 to connect to Facebook. And it was still there, and it still had some usage on it. And I would just, every now and again, I was tempted to just, like, you know, go in and, like, I don't know, change it or delete it just for a laugh and just see what happened. But, like... I've got taken off it now, so either someone's figured out that I shouldn't be there and took me off, or it's uh, gone. But I had access for a very long time. <laughs> anyway, that's by the by. Um, the most interesting thing, or best thing, I did at Nokia, I think. Um, I mean, I think the best that happened to me out of Nokia, similar to John, is sort of being able to expand my career, like going from being a relatively niche kind of role as a kind of social media kind of manager, basically. To being kind of a marketing director with experience doing everything from, um, you know, making TV ads to, you know, social media to, you know, display digital marketing, all sorts. And then just getting that kind of exposure was, was incredible, as I said earlier. Um, so that was probably the best thing that happened to me out of it. Um, I think, you know, the stuff that I'm probably the most proud of in the long term, and we did lots of fun projects that we've talked about a little bit, but I think being involved in um, the sort of Nokia Connects and the blogger relations program and helping to expand that program across different local countries as well when I was in the different roles, that was probably the stuff that I think had the most impact, not just on Nokia as a company, but also on, on the people in the sense of, you know, it's the reason we're here now to an extent. It's the reason why I'm still friendly with people like Nirav. I had a coffee yesterday with a guy called um, Ramesh who I met through Nokia Connect who uh, actually worked for me for a while in my new startup um, you know and, and, and obviously all the connections that those people have made um, across the world 
um, is is pretty incredible, uh, and with, with each other as well as 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 well as the people at Nokia, you know that that that's probably the most impactful thing on just generally people's lives. So that's that's like, like I said earlier, I was one relatively small part of a big team that did that, but being a part of that was quite special. That's nice, Adrian. What do you think? What a mate? team it was. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, just connecting, connecting <laughs> people as we as we come back to every single time. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah. interesting yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, look, it's come to the uh, the last question, and I'm actually quite excited to do this because usually Adrian does this every week. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you: What are your top five Nokia devices of all time? Just to put you on oh, the spot. Oh, that's a good question. Let's do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? Um. I'll uh, take a stab, I guess. Um, not sure if I can do it in any particular order. Uh, just throw some out there that were wonderful. Uh, I'd probably put the N9 up there. Um, yep. Beautiful. You know, perhaps you. even at the top. Yeah, just fantastic. Still have one somewhere. I'm sure the, the thing doesn't work anymore. Uh, but, you know, it, and it's, it was beautiful, you know, in terms of what it looked like, like what it did, and also just sort of as the, uh, you know, what might have been. Uh, in some alternate timeline, uh, was really allowed to uh, flourish. Um, at least, if nothing else, you know, I, I'm glad um, at this point. Almost everything I loved about the N9 uh, has been uh, ripped off, or you know, quote unquote, invented by Apple. Uh, so I get to enjoy <laughs> it the way a little bit every day. Um, other uh, top five Nokia's, um, probably the the Lumia 1020. Uh, had a bright yellow one uh, and a little you know camera case handle thing for it. Uh, really just like, you know, amazing pictures, like the, probably the last truly impressive, uh, device that like, I remember coming out of Nokia where it did something that like, you know, you can see, say the iPhone clearly can't do this. Uh, of course at that point you take a picture and then they'd say, well, you can't even get on Instagram. And then we finally did get Instagram. So at least that annoying <laughs> talking point was finally uh, taken care of. Um, what else? Um, the Lumia 925, I just love, you know. It was just a gorgeous phone, you know, felt great. Just that, that ever so slight curve, the, the metal housing, it was this great, you know, use of metal and plastic materials. Uh, Nokia, you know, when they wanted to make a, a device with great feeling materials, they, they, they really could. Um, all that supply chain, industrial design expertise really uh, comes to the fore. Um, that's three. Uh, um, I guess, yeah, my little, um, my little Ion uh, G2 prototype, my little Zoolander smartphone. Um, there's the one that looks kind of like an iPod. There's also one that like like a wedge shape, um, and the wedge shape one is just a, another like obsolete doesn't work anymore delight, but also another uh, you know what might have been. Um, last and not least, um, goodness, probably have to say um, my good old uh, Nokia thirty three ninety, which was the North American version of the iconic uh, Nokia thirty three ten, which I don't, almost feel remiss in not uh, mentioning that one that I you know use. It, it got me through high school. Yeah. Um, they had done some partnership with AOL, so you could use AOL Instant Messenger on it through some rudimentary, uh, you know, data network connection, uh, and it was just, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, I think it worked through SMS, and I got a, I think I was sending four thousand uh, SMS in a month back in the early two thousands when you still had to pay for those. Thankfully, uh, I think T-Mobile had a deal where it was like unlimited SMS for ten bucks a month. But yeah, like I love that phone, and I thought, wow, using your phone to do everything—that's uh, the future. And uh, I guess we got there, just not exactly how I would have expected it since at the time, you know, I think Apple was like always on the verge of bankruptcy. Funny how things work out, you know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, what about you, Tom? All right. So um, I'll do mine in order. 
um because i had john's time to think about think about it <laughs> um, so number five yeah i used you there john sorry um, number five is the n8 um and i think like people kind of forget because the n8 was a very average phone but the reason it got in the list for me was because you know just that camera and before the 808 mm. or the 1020 the n 8s camera like um a guy called phil hickey uh ran a program in in, in nokia with the n8 called uh what was it um nokia shorts where we literally did a competition with vimeo to get short films and i mean proper films with proper directors shot on the n8 and this is back in 2010 the quality of films that came out there the quality of shooting the quality of everything was incredible you can watch those films now and you would never know they were shot on a smartphone um and this is before all of the smartphone rig and stuff equipment existed or the After Effects apps existed that exist now for things like iPhone. These guys were just kind of doing it literally handheld or making stuff up. Like, I think one of them got like a kind of anti-shock rig and kind of hacked it to work with the phone, you know, things like that. But that phone, just for that camera and the, 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 that, those Nokia Shorts videos, which some of them won pretty high-level awards in the, in, in, in the film world. Um, was incredible. Um, and so I have fond memories of that. Uh, number four would be the N900. Um, it was the first Nokia phone that I really enjoyed using as a smartphone. Um, I think it was very innovative for the time. Um, number three would be 1020, largely for the same reasons as, as John said. Again, the camera. It was, you know, and I said the 1020, not the 808. Um, I think that the work that went into the 1020 to make it more of a usable experience the 808 is a better camera phone, but it is like it's 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 a very niche user experience. If you see what I mean, the the 1020 was much more accessible to the man off the street, and I think that that made it particularly special. Uh, number two is the N9, and 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 the N9 obviously was a much purer expression of that design language than say the um, Lumia 800. Um, and it was yeah, I think it was probably the most beautiful Nokia phone. Um, certainly that I that I used, um, but my number one is the good old trusty E seventy one. Yeah, and the E the E seventy one the E series, but the E seventy one in particular. One, it was beautiful that phone. Mm -hmm. You know, metal. Mm -hmm. Really, remember again, this phone's like from two thousand and nine, right? I mean, you could pull that phone out today, and people look at it and go, like, "What's that?" You know, it was. It was better looking than a BlackBerry. It had a great, you know, keyboard. Um, the email on it was fantastic. As a business phone, it was fantastic. Good connectivity, blah 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 blah. But I just loved it because the battery life was really long, and it was just a really pretty phone and good for email. And, and, and so I had it as my phone, my like business phone, when I worked at Thousand Heads for like the whole time I worked there. Basically, I had the N900 for a few weeks to get used to it, and then I switched to the E71. And I just kept the E71. And the E72 was already released, and other phones were already released, but I never switched to the E71 because it was just so, so good. I basically ran that thing into the ground. Um, and like I think that those E-Series devices were really, really underrated both at the time and since. So, you know, I'm using my opportunity to shout out to the E71. Oh, both of you have uh, awesome top fives. What do you think, Adrian? I think so, yeah. Some iconic devices on there. 
If you Look guys know why the guest on your show, that's a shit list of top fives. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say it one t- one day, but no, they're all actually all good phones. Yeah. I have to. I've never heard of that thirty three ninety, but obviously the, just the American variant. But um, no, all, all yeah. very good phones. It had more freedom than the other ones you see. Do you guys, um, do you, we, do you we guys love we love Nokia it? too much, so that any device on that list would be pretty good. But yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to the stage one day where we'll be like someone will say some crappy Nokia phone and we'll be like, yeah, whatever. And that will be a heat crime. If anyone <laughs> ever does N97 or if anyone ever does an all N97 mini, because they're both bad phones, or if anyone does a list that's all the Miz, Actually, that's who, gonna who be your the, no. Actually, who liked the N97? Was that Rafe or was it Steve? Oh, so one of them liked the N97 Mini. Yeah, oh, it wasn't the N97, but one of them liked the N97. Oh. I was the shocked. I was shocked. I have to say, yeah, like Rafe, though, <laughs> they would people inside Nokia were scared of Rafe because because Rafe was he knew he knew more about Symbian than the product guys who were building Symbian. Yeah. Like, so they would be scared to talk to him. Like, it was like, it was difficult. It got difficult to get Rafe interviews inside Nokia because he was just so on it. Like, seriously, that guy was like, he knew so much. The level of knowledge he had was insane. But the, um, here's a question for you. Speaking of John's freedom comment, do you know why the Lumia 900 (laughs) didn't have a curved screen? Um... Because Samsung I have a, I didn't had a, give them many. I had a prototype. No, it's because we I have freedom too much. Lumia 900. <laughs> it's because AT and T don't love your freedom. So, so I have a Damn you, American carriers! Yeah. So, so there's a prototype Lumia out there that has a curved screen. Um, I had one for a while. I don't, I don't have any more. But um, basically, AT and T drop tested it, and they said that it didn't pass their drop test standards because of the curved screen, because they thought it would be too easy to break if you dropped it on its screen. Bear in mind, the iPhone, which has the most breakable screen in the history of all mankind, obviously passes their drop test yeah. every time because, you know, it's an iPhone and Apple will just turn the fuck off. Um, but basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to stop to stop AT&T shitting on us, we created a Lumina 100 with a flat screen and that little, that's also what has that tiny little, you know, curve at the edge of the screen, which is like oh, really annoying. Yeah, the lip. And then that's done just to appease AT&T um, who wouldn't accept it with a curved screen. Pricks. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> so that bad we're switching really the right screen. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, Tom, you inspired me. Before the show started, you, you've asked Adrian and I a question. So I've, I've thought maybe we'll put this as a regular thing, Adrian. What do you think? That we get the guests to ask us a question. Yep, so, guys, like a good do you have, idea. Yeah, so, so, guys, do you have a question for us? And maybe Tom, it might be the same question you asked us before the show started. I don't know. And John, do you have a question for us at all, or what do you, what do you think, guys? Yeah, do it. Um, yeah, goodness, I'm going to ask. I haven't done my research, so um, I'm not going to ask how your dating life is going. Um, We've already gone over that. <laughs> uh, what you don't know? Hang on, you work at Facebook. You should know everything about me, John. <laughs> and me. he's tracking us right he's now just so why don't we get him on <laughs> he, he knows exactly what you're looking at in your other browser tabs guys like I'm just telling you that like, <laughs> I use in browsing I, I use private browsing so it's all good all right, well what about you what Tom what was that question you asked us first yeah. maybe we'll get you so on before first the show, before the show I asked I asked um, why do you guys why do you guys you know 
give H, uh, HMD such a hard time? Because as far as I can work out, while they're doing it in the mid-range, they're kind of doing exactly what a lot of Nokia sort of fans wanted, which is, you know, Nokia phones, Nokia style, but Android. So what's wrong? I just think they maybe need to do a flagship every now and again, uh, Tom. Like, and the, I don't know, maybe using older processors and charging too much initially for their phones because of the Nokia name, perhaps. But look, I, I don't have, particularly have anything bad <laughs> to say about HMD. I just think maybe their uh, their business logic doesn't defy. Well, it defies logic sometimes. I think. Yeah. I actually, I, 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 I think very much as an outsider, right? I've never worked at HMD. I know a few people who work there, as I've mentioned, but I think their business logic makes sense, but it makes mm-hmm. sense in a very particular way, which is, you know, they are doing two things. First, they're not doing flagships because flagships don't make any money. Now, that might be wrong. You know, if you look at Samsung, they do flagships to sell the low-end crap. But they don't ever make any real money off their flagships. The Galaxy... S21 or whatever the hell it is, isn't going to make any money. It's probably going to lose money, actually. But it's the Galaxy Ace 4 that will make all the money. But they're, 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 you, don't get any, you, you, you don't market the Galaxy Ace 4, you market the Galaxy S21, but you end up selling the Ace 4, if you see what I mean. Um, the, like, so what Nokia are doing, or HMD is, is they're trying to do it without doing the flagship. And the reason for that is just money. It's like I said before, if you're Samsung, you're fine because mostly you make a lot of your own crap, you're vertically integrated and you can just do what you want. Like in terms of, of uh, you've got enough money that you can order as many chipsets as you need. I don't think HMD have enough cash to order the chipsets that they would need and to take the risk to build a real top-end flagship. And the reason they're using slightly lower-end processors is purely a financial constraint. They just don't have the cash. They couldn't if they wanted to. What about you, Adrian? What are you uh, hate HMD with a passion? The <laughs> <laughs> same, the same reasons as you, Justin. Uh, basically, I just feel like they, you know, ever since the Nokia Six, I think it was the first, the first HMD device came on the market. I just thought they're just not competitive at all, basically. And um, I think at that time, I'd moved from LG to Xiaomi, and they were starting to, you know, I had to import my phone, of course, because they weren't selling it here, but. That's probably when they started to get a bit bigger. So this is probably 2016 or so. But just the, the specs on offer were just way too competitive and the price, the pricing was just dirt cheap. So it was a no-brainer for me and then I just stuck with them since. And um, I know my other players have come onto the market since. But uh, yeah, just just watching, you know, and watching these specs and the HMD phones being, you know, being announced and... Um, you know, time after time, just thinking, you know, you're not even keeping up with some of the other players on the market at the bare basics. So it just really turned turned them off, you know, for me. So fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Look, hope, hope to be proven yeah. wrong. In all honesty. So yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's got yeah. such an iconic. Uh, still wish them success. Name behind it. So yeah, we wish yeah. we wish them both success. And we had um, you know, I guess on last week that, you know, especially went through the uh pros and cons and, and made us you know open our eyes a, a bit more to what HMD is trying to achieve and what you know what Tom has just said um, about their strategy so you know never say never but uh, yeah sadly they won't be getting our money for a, for a little bit longer, <laughs> unfortunately 
but nothing yeah. against them and the people okay. that work there and who used to work Fair for enough. Nokia and all that. Nothing, absolutely nothing personal exactly. or anything like that. It's just uh, just for us as a from the consumer point of view, basically with our with our wallets. That's all. Yeah. What about you, John? Have you got a question for us, mate? Um, I mean, I'm just wondering, I guess, like what phones you guys are on, because I'm not familiar. Like, are you guys both on Androids then? Has anyone just gone to the, the dark side of Apple and just get an iPhone and stop thinking about it? Or uh, where are you, you know, guys well, right now with that? Okay, so, well, I'm on Android. I'm on a uh, LG V50 uh, with the dual screen. So in Australia, we had the dual screen version. Oh, nice. Um, and it's a, it's a really good phone, really good phone. And I know, as you say, LG is now out of the market. So, yeah. Uh, I, I keep on backing tech for losers. picking a company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, look, I've had BB10, I've had uh, the Nokias, I've had uh, LG phones. I, always, I like backing underdogs, and uh, yeah. it doesn't work out all the time. So, yeah. basically, what we've got to do is just know. We just know whatever phone you're buying is probably not going to exist in in a year's time. So it's po- it's yeah. poison. Short the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got an I've got an iPhone, but I've got an, I've also got a Nokia. Uh, what is it? A Nokia Seven as well. So you know I have got my Nokia, but that's more for just testing stuff for my sort of development work. Yeah, when I, right. I moved to Facebook, they, they gave me a Pixel. Uh, it was that or a Samsung. I was kind of bummed. I was like, can I just get a Nokia or something? But no, they, they standardize on a Samsung and a, uh, and a Pixel. So there went my chance to buy a Nokia because I just got you know an iPhone for personal use because well, I think everyone in the States pretty much has an iPhone for personal use these days if you're at the you know high enough like economic uh, you know, decile or quartile. It, it's like Tom said. Um, it's it's Nobody buys like anything. Android flagships, really. I think they really just exist. That sort of, you know, they're the halo car, the high end one that gets you to the dealership, and then you go and buy something that's actually in your in your price range. Um, but yeah. So like the iPhone again, I just you know, in my line of work, I just want to be able to use whatever like what's the hot new app people are going to be talking about for whatever reason, like whether it's silly, uh, like Clubhouse is slash was or not. Um, you know, being on the iPhone meant I could see what it was about. Like at the moment, it was part of the conversation. Um, and that's really kind of like what I guess the only thing my iPhone really excels at. Other than that, it just seems like a generic, you know, communications device. I'm sure it has more god tier engineering magic in it than I could even comprehend. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's just my little, you know, it's become a commodity for me. Yeah, yeah, I think they've all become commodities in all honesty. Yeah, I did get the mini though because yeah. that's the correct size. I hate big phones. And alas, what did you uh, say that? I, apparently the mini is making like five percent of sales volume. So I'm guessing the the twelve mini is or any mini is not long for this world. I'll have to go back to yeah, phones. yeah. It's all it's all about yeah, go big or go home, John. I mean, you are from the states. I thought you would understand that. It's like because I thought you guys understood luxury as meaning just bigger. Yeah, <laughs> the bigger yeah, it is, funny the more it has. Everyone knows this. True, but I'm actually <laughs> looking lately. Refuses to buy an SUV. <laughs> yeah, I've been looking at getting maybe an S10e or uh, even an XZ2 uh, uh, phone because it's just that compactness. I actually want, want to go back to a smaller phone. It, it is yeah. bloody annoying when you get a phone that's just too big to fit in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can't same reach might, the same upper corner where, of course, they put all those key features. You have to you know, grab it with one hand so you can use it with the other. Just yeah. yeah, and also well, you, exactly, yeah. you get used to the size, right? Like it doesn't matter that to an extent, you know, Remember when we always used to mm-hmm. remember we all thought four and a half inch screen was big back in the day. Yeah. We, we you know people get like people just get used to whatever size True. you give them after yeah. a little while. 
I mean, it's how big was the car, first Galaxy like Note? I remember we were we were all taking the piss out of the first Galaxy Note when it came out, and I'm sure the average phone is now just larger than the Galaxy Note ever was, at least that first one. Yeah. 5.3 inch. Three. The first Galaxy Note. Man, so there we go. Good. So, like, my <laughs> iPhone <laughs> mini is yeah. <laughs> a Galaxy Note. Absolutely wild. Perspectives change. And what phone it's do you have, Adrian? I still hate it, though. Oh, I got the Poco F3 at the moment, so... The screen is a bit too big going on to what you guys were saying, actually, because I do, you know, I've got, you know, I'm tall anyway, I'm 6'6", six, six, um, and I've got, you know, pretty slender fingers and big hands, but even at 6.67 inches, it's, you know, it's starting to strain my fingers here and there just to uh, just to reach, you know, <laughs> reach for apps and get the notification shade down, just like, you know, what um, John was saying, just to reach over there, it's getting a bit too big. Mm. And I've yeah. seen his fingers in there. Wait, you guys uh, use inches? Monstrosities. What's that? No. I, didn't no, we use, I thought Australia would use all like uh, metric and everything. No, we, oh, we, yes. use, we use metric, but, um, you know, I, I, get asked, I get asked my height all the time, so I just say, you know. 6'6". Six, 6'6", six. Six, six, because it, you know, even, though, even though we're metric, now, you know, I don't know, people just tend to ask, you know, and get answers in um, inches and feet, so, which is weird, but. You're messed up like we are in the UK. Just, just whatever, whatever, whatever we feel like. Whatever we feel like, yeah, basically. And if, and if yeah. someone, you know, yeah. <laughs> starts quoting it in, in, in um, Imperial, then we just go along with that. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, is that an Imperial retirement? <laughs> is it happening in America? Away. What, metric? God, no. It's commie stuff. Commie stuff. <laughs> oh, and I have to ask as well about <laughs> Americans. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't get offended or anything, but... Um, just the way you pronounce certain words as well. I mean, here, and, and probably you find the same as well um, over there, Tom, but, you know, names like Craig, but in America you call it Craig? Like, what's the reasoning behind, you know, taking your vowels out and all that? Can I just point out that John's out not too. really an American? Like John, John's actually an agent of the British Empire, and if you look through <laughs> his, uh, his Facebook or Twitter feed, you will find that he is clearly... You know, um, a man who is there for Queen and Country. Oh, absolutely! Every Fourth of July, uh, I unironically <laughs> wear a shirt that says "Make America Great Britain Again," and I stand by that. <laughs> I actually, I actually cringe every time you say Z launcher. It's, to me, it's Z launcher. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's literally. I only learned about that talking uh, with you know Tom and everything. Why do they keep saying this? Oh, yeah, weird weird thing. My wife's Australian, so uh, we can't quite get on the same page with these things, and we're debating what are we going to teach the kid to say. Oh, can I tell you, with my kids, they, thanks to Sesame Street, they they uh, say Z, it kills me. And they <laughs> say, really and they say forehead. Them. They say yeah. forehead In instead of forehead. last week, forehead. Well, what's a forehead? <laughs> uh, forehead, yeah. See, that makes sense to me. But there was some article, like, apparently Peppa Pig, I read this in the Wall Street Journal, like, Peppa Pig is... Uh, making American children uh, use British language and the parents are just like, what on earth is going on? Because they're saying things like uh, going on holiday and then going to the petrol station, having mince pies, which don't exist here <laughs> as a thing. Despite our, despite our own of anything made of brown beef, it, just pies don't happen. Uh, it's a subtle thing. Yeah, you it's, see, this uh, is all part of our grand strategy to, to reclaim America. It is. We're just slowly integrating yeah, the Yeah, the long game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we better wrap this one up. I think this is what our longest ever uh, 
podcast, Adrian. This would be over two hours, I'd imagine. Uh, it is, it is. Okay. Sorry, Rafe Blanford, uh, with uh, yeah. someone else has taken <laughs> your crown. But can I say, it, look, can we get you guys to come on again? Because what one, you've been an absolute pleasure, and and two, some of the answers, like it's just been an eye opener. I've, I've been messaging Adrian in, in the background saying this, this is an eye opener. These guys are brilliant. Can, can you come oh, back on you. at some stage in the future? Yeah, of course. I mean, I would be lying if I said I had anything better to do. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be the highlight of your year, I'm telling you. <laughs> now we have. We've oh, sincerely right, enjoyed yeah. again, uh, your time here on this podcast. Yeah, it's and, been uh, fantastic. F- fantastic hearing both your insights and uh, hearing about, you know, even devices that we'd uh, never even heard of, that, you know, these prototypes and things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all, yeah. you know. Or geek stuff to us, to Justin and I, and we, we just love it. So, uh, you know, you're top blokes, and uh, thank you again for mm-hmm. coming on. Yes, thank you. Thanks, right, for, having thanks us, for having us. Yeah, and yeah, speak okay. again soon, guys. All right, let's see. Adrian, Adrian, actually, I'm going to take one of Adrian's questions again. How do we find you on the socials? Uh, oh, well, I'm, uh, um, so I'm, I'm on, on the Twitter. On Twitter. Oh, all right, Tom, you go first. <laughs> Make sure people yeah, get the right so names to the right people at, here. I'm, yeah. I'm Again, at, you at bastard. Tom Messett on Twitter. Again, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at I'm at Tom Messett on Instagram as well. So you can find me on uh, on either of those. Yeah. Uh, uh, I am at Sir Neeland, uh K N E L A N D on the Twitters. Uh, and pretty much everything else, uh, I've grabbed the Neeland handle, uh, just despite all the other Neelands out there. Uh, you know, at Neil on Instagram, um, you go, on man. Facebook, at Neil on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I even got it for Ethereum. I don't even know what Ethereum is, but I just made sure I got Neilan.eth so no one else can have it. <laughs> and uh, I have an internet website that I don't update at Neilan.me, uh, but someday, someday. That's uh, that's it. All Stop right. Stop away, everyone. <laughs> yeah, watch, watch your numbers go right up this week. All yeah. right, let's... Uh, Let's call it call it a night, yeah, Adrian. Yes, let's do. Yeah, um, late over there. Yeah. yeah, that's all good. It's all I'm good. Thoroughly enjoyed. It's seriously really enjoyable episode. I've actually loved this. So, yeah, as yeah. I said, an eye opener, and uh, you've been, both of you've been brilliant. Awesome. No worries. Thanks. thanks very much. All right. See you next time. All right. Thanks, thanks again, guys. guys. Uh, listeners know where to find us uh, on Instagram and all our socials, and. We will have another episode for you next week with a special guest. Just one next week, Justin. Yes, just the one. Not, not, not giving away anything this week. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, have a great week, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. guys. Bye-bye.